Ja, hallo und herzlich willkommen bei einer weiteren Sitzung von Corona. Welcome to the uh, another meeting of our Corona committee. This is our 110th meeting. It's called revisiting for several reasons. Uh, we are visited by Dr. Wodak again, who actually uh, um, did uh, our first meeting all on his own with his versatile uh, knowledge on this hype situation about the. Um, uh, both pork flu and Rainer is back again, so we're complete, the trio. And apart from that, uh, we uh, want to address certain topics again, uh, the concentric circles meeting, for instance, and today we will actually address some topics with more detail. Revisiting, and maybe there is even a possibility to uh, actually visit uh, dependents, relatives who are slowly but surely waking up on uh, uh, the topics that have moved us and kept us on our toes for a while. Well, I don't want to delay everybody. Just let me uh, say a few words. Uh, I just returned from the U.S. after, I think, two and a half months, a few days ago. We uh, went on a tour called Crimes Against Humanities Tour, uh, which we had to um, rename. Uh, again uh, to a crimes against humanity task force after a few people like myself left this uh, we uh, got another few people mike eden for instance and another couple of people will join us uh, joseph marcola and dr uh, russell blaylock might join us all uh, very good people because it turned out that there is a big need for such comprehensive information out there. What we do is we uh, collect a number of different parts of the jigsaw puzzle. Uh, we will um, continue uh, interviewing people, um, scientists, um, medical staff, historians, etc. Uh, but to uh, give the overall picture and to uh, enlighten the background, uh, you can't understand it if you don't understand the, uh, the, the whole picture. And the background is eugenics, starting with the survival of the fittest by Charles Darwin. Then the Eugenic Society uh, was established in 1906 in uh, Britain and uh, 19. Um, 11, I think, in um, America, the American Eugenics Society, and it took us where we are today. It's all about control, population reduction, and we're still along uh, the way with Corona. Also part of the plan is the uh, war in Ukraine, a proxy war between the U.S. and uh, NATO and uh, the puppet regimes um, like ourselves against Russia. So to understand it all, we have to see the overall picture. We've done it a couple of few, uh, couple of times to try to show everything. The most important thing we did was our grand jury investigation where we um, had Professor Desmond who looked at the psychological aspect where we uh, tried to introduce it with the historic background to show the overall picture and we uh, widen it even more because we need to look at even more uh, details. We're extremely happy about the patience of Ms. Anderson today because I was stuck in traffic, uh, first of all, on a train, then there were no taxis available. Now we're here and hooray, we have been uh, patient enough to uh, allow us for all to come. Uh, I know that you're from the Göttingen region, from Eschwege, as I read. I'm not really originally from Göttingen. Uh, I, uh, I'm from Bremen. I used to be very proud of it, but I'm not so sure about that anymore. 
know how are you? You're being attacked as well, aren't you? Yes, I'm uh, feeling pretty well, and it was uh, not so difficult to actually show this uh, patience, because when you're sitting in the EU Parliament, you have to expect everything, nothing really works, and if it's about interpretation or joining a Zoom, this is perfectly natural, so I'm used to actually have a lot of patience. No, you're right, um, I live in Eschwege, was born there and grew up there. And um, how long have you been on the EU Parliament? Since July 2019, for three years. So you uh, started there before um, this thing started. Correct. You are one of a relatively small group of EU um, uh, of EPs who have a critical view on uh, the so-called measures. I wouldn't say we're the only ones. There is quite a number of other colleagues, uh, but uh, they are uh, members of parties uh, um, for whom it is more important to spread the narrative and uh, who actually fear for their membership of the party if they do not actually support the narrative that is actually echoed by their parties. Because at the end of the day, and this is a sad fact I have to know time and again, most parliamentarians are only interested in keeping their mandates. And to, to this end, many are prepared to do quite a bit. What would you say? Um, how many um, are critical and uh, what is their party background? C could you actually uh, describe this anonymously? Well, our parliamentary group is made up of 74 uh, parliamentarians. Uh, they tend to have this, uh, uh, this opinion. Some don't actually speak about it loudly. S many Italians, uh, for instance, at the beginning of this were not prepared to comment uh, the images from Bergamo. Um, they, they were deeply impressed with these images. Um, um, it, it took them quite a while uh, to understand what this was all about. From the other parliamentary group, with the Greens, for instance, there's some among the left party members, there's some, yes, even uh, in the CDU and in the SPD and the FDP parliamentary group. But people are very um, careful. You hear about it uh, in the corridor uh, over a cup of coffee when people start being open-minded, but, uh, but not in an open way and unfortunately people do not actually reach the conclusion we have to do something about it. This is only utopia and uh, I can't see this in the foreseeable future happening either. And uh, this is also reflected by this fact. I am in this Corona committee now today, um, and this is really a committee uh, stage. Uh, quite on the contrary um, to the um, uh, special committee organized uh, by the EU. If you really think that at this committee there is some critical questioning uh, of what we've done, what has worked out, and what hasn't worked, um, where have we opted for complete 
the wrong avenue. This is not happening at this uh, committee. Um, this uh, committee was established in order to pat one's back mutually, to celebrate uh, oneself, and uh, probably to um, uh, research where the uh, um, the oppression of uh, citizens did not quite work out. In the uh, first uh, committee meeting, uh, each parliamentary group was asked to uh, outline the questions that should be addressed roughly. I um, um, actually um, raised awareness for the contracts uh, and uh, touched upon the series uh, injuries and the side effects uh, covered uh, by the EMA database, then the limitation of the rule of law and democracy. These are all the things they don't want to have a look at in this uh, committee. And my contribution in, in uh, a, a public committee on EU level was actually, my channel was actually deleted from YouTube. This contribution was deleted um, because of me d uh, spreading disinformation. But of course, you can actually call up this contribution on the EU pages. Last week in the said committee, we had uh, the Czech Commissioner Vera Jourova. She's the Vice President of the EU Commission. And uh, telling me she is responsible for values and transparency. And these are really topics you might think, wow, in this meeting, now we're making some head start. No, far from it. As I said, she did lament indeed uh, some deficits in terms of uh, democracy and rule of law in individual member states without actually covering this in detail or um, what these uh, deficiencies consisted in to then promise immediately afterwards uh, to return the fundamental rights. And the question arises here, sorry, fundamental rights cannot be returned. They apply uh, no buts, no ifs. But this narrative is also really widespread. Fundamental rights have turned into privileges, obviously. And the major problem why fighting the pandemic didn't work out um, was in her mind the disinformation spread, the amount, the tremendous amount of uh, disinformation. She lamented lies, um, that lies were believed far too often, and she recommended that we as a society would have to become more critical. Well, uh, I took note of this and, of course, honed in on this. And um, as the uh, representative for transparency and values and democracy and rule of law is part of this, I told her if she thinks that the society should become more critical, whether she um, means that uh, the society should be more critical versus critics, because this is exactly the point. I pointed out that there were critics, especially in in the COVID question, but they were basically totally ignored and marginalized. And so far, you really have to admit that uh, we should be more critical versus the critics of the proposed narrative. Disinformation. I asked her whether all of this uh, vaccination campaign could be seen under this uh, column of uh, disinformation. 
it was promised, uh, it was promised, it was safe, it was effective, and the only escape from this pandemic. And it was pointed out that this uh, vaccination has no authorization. It's an experimental drug, basically, and that this is a violation of the Code of Nuremberg, whereby nobody can be forced to take part in a medical experiment. I talked about the fact that citizens uh, were uh, were not um, only manipulated, but uh, they were really coerced. Uh, they were actually uh, forced uh, to vaccinate, otherwise they would lose their job. Um, then they wanted to be excluded from the solidarity, uh, not uh, actually offering them any medical treatment, or that medical treatment was subject to vaccination, or that the non-vaccinated had to pay for their medical treatment themselves. So um, the, the society was really coerced. Again, um, she didn't see this that way. She, she didn't share my view, and I quote her now. Uh, this had never existed, uh, and I, I quote, the citizens were not pushed to be vaccinated. There was no um, um, vaccination mandate. Citizens were only motivated to have the jab. And this uh, is, of course, a highly explosive statement because I would say if uh, um, I am actually asked somebody to, to give me their cell phones or their purse, and they don't want to give me this, and I actually uh, put up a gun, then this could also be uh, understood as a motivation. But no court on earth would actually share this view. No, the, uh, just, uh, the judge would say this was a coercion, and this is then of uh, criminal code relevance. But they celebrate uh, each other, they don't share this view. And the only point here is to find out where we have failed in the objectives of taking the fundamental rights away 100% without a lot of uh, um, uh, resistance. All of these releases or reliefs, this was only tactical drawbacks. Um, withdrawals and these need to be understood as such because you as you know in the EU parliament we actually approve the uh, extension of the COVID certificate for another year and this was done with a huge majority and this is so shocking about it and as I said before we can probably save ourselves through the summer but in autumn uh, things will continue exactly the same way we will again uh, uh, will actually lose our democracy uh, rule of law. How do voters see this? In the past, there never was a lot of participation in EU elections, but those who did take part knew what they wanted. Have you got some feedback from your uh, voters? Do they tell you, oh, it's good that you should do this? Or do they say, oh, no, it's terrible, we need 10 masks at a time or whatever? The feedback we get um, it tells us that citizens don't want this to happen. The whole narrative spread. You have to, to get the jab out of solidarity with the others. We all know this uh, vaccination neither protects the person vaccinated nor the unvaccinated person. It's nonsense. I think that many 
uh, have not uh, understood the mechanisms that are being implemented in order to obtain control over citizens and to be able to, to maneuver them and manip manipulate them. Uh, we can talk about the institutional mechanisms uh, in order to do away with democracy and rule of law. Um, we're uh, dealing with psychological mechanisms that are being used. When you have a moldable mass uh, in future, then uh, uh, solidaritism works very well. So you have to actually uh, create this uh, moldable mass. Um, you make people pliable, and there are very many content-based mechanisms. Just uh, thinking of the gender insanity um, through content, a certain way of thinking should be forced upon people. There is no gray zones left. There is only good and bad left, and people uh, will, of course, not be naturally evil, and this is why they necessarily have to be good. And this actually gives results in a cognitive dissonance. People have to follow the narrative of the good people, but cannot understand it, probably thinks it's nonsense. This cognitive dissonance uh, at the end uh, results in a resignation, withdrawal from the debate, and then you've created uh, a basis for this mass psychosis. Now, concerning the growing number of uh, quantities of damages, um, uh, does that play a role? Is it being discussed or not? No, people don't want to discuss this. Uh, and this is also pushed away. This is all fake news. When I mention this in the committee, then this is fake news, disinformation, panic mongering. Uh, talking, uh, speaking of panic mongering, um, who did the panic mongering? It was definitely not the critics who said um, we cannot actually lock up a whole society because this virus is so dangerous. No, panic mongering was uh, uh, on their part, done on their part to actually get uh, us under control. No, they don't want to discuss this. We, we can't. We cannot uh, hush it up 100%. This is, of course, a problem. Uh, there are many things coming to light now. Thinking of uh, the pilots, for instance, um, when in the U.S. an airline actually uh, uses shuttle buses because they are left with too few pilots. In Germany, you can still do this uh, using buses instead of planes, but in the U.S., this is this is uh, impossible to do. Uh, but this is all coming to light. The pilots are either gone because they didn't want to have the jab and they were sacked, and the pilots who actually had their jab probably uh, experienced problems in getting their, their fitness uh, documents. By the way, on the 5th of July, there will be a, a, an event live streamed from the EU Parliament, and there we will shed some light on this issue with pilots and lawyers the fitness to fly of pilots. This is a very, very, there's a high, high obstacle and the airlines cannot uh, simply um, uh, push this aside. Uh, we're speaking of hundreds of deads if uh, there's a lack of airworthiness among pilots um, and you can't afford that. 
That applies for bus to bus drivers as well. Bus driving is a similar problem. Exactly. Bus drivers um, with their passengers are, are on the ground, at least. If this happens up in the air, th this, is, this is more drastic. Well, but that's why there is regulation for these pilots, because if a risk cannot be uh, evalu uh, evaluated, if it can't be prevented, then they're not allowed to fly. This is exactly the problem. You simply don't have enough pilots who can still fly under these conditions. And we saw this uh, three or four weeks uh, ago, Lufthansa actually canceled 300 or 400 flights. Now 2,800 flights were canceled um, in the middle of the holiday season where these flights are sorely needed. And this is, uh, this is the point. After the people couldn't go anywhere for two years, were basically locked up because this was the pandemic period. Now uh, they have made their holiday plans and they will probably be foiled again simply because there are no airplanes or no pilots. Did you um, talk about this, uh, that the problem uh, also applies to military pilots, um, that it may be a big risk? It hasn't been discussed. What's the situation there? Do you know whether they've all been vaccinated or jabbed? or? Is that being looked into in more detail? Because oftentimes they carry a lot of thing, uh, dangerous things on board. Yes, uh, um, with specific reference to military pilots, I cannot comment. But I am aware, I uh, don't remember the name, but I can look it up. Um, it was a, a physician of the U.S. Army. And uh, several months ago, she desperately uh, contacted the Ministry of Defense, and uh, there was they 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 had a, a man, mandatory vaccination, and it was found that many many soldiers uh, had a problem with the injection, and. Uh, uh, clinical issues uh, uh, emerged. She referred to to uh, the the amount of absenteeism. Uh, she compared this to a disastrous defeat on the battlefield. She said it was like uh, actually killing 60% of our soldiers in, in a war situation. She uh, was very clear about it, and uh, she was, of course, uh, actually um, uh, talked about as, as, as a um, skeptic. Is it true that the uh, that NATO's top soldier suffers from herpes zoster? That's why he couldn't come to Berlin. Um, is that fake or is it true? There was a photo uh, of Mr. Stoltenberg. Uh, with this rash, um, that's a typical uh, side effect because the immune system is compromised after the jab. I cannot comment on this. I, I, I don't know. I'm not aware of this. But what we do know is that, uh, particularly in the U.S. Army, there's an extreme amount of uh, backlash uh, by now. It's a closed society in that we can't really say uh, we know exactly uh, how many have what? There's a roll call every morning, and then uh, we see whether there's somebody missing or not. And uh, colleague Tom Renz, or rather an activist, uh, together with three whistleblowers, 
um, gave testimony in the U.S. Senate, and I used his figures on my tour. After the start of the so-called uh, vaccinations, all uh, illnesses that are considered um, COVID um, side effects went up by hundreds, if not thousands, of percentage points after the vaccinations. And that's usually people who are in the prime of their lives and uh, fit as a fiddle. And so between 18 and 30, and suddenly they don't get up in the morning because they're dead in their beds. And that uh, created a lot of shock. And it uh, led to a situation where even more soldiers said, we're not uh, doing this anymore. But we can see the solution to the problem. I can only see one uh, thing quite clearly, Ms. Anderson. In the US, uh, the resistance is much bigger. And in the US, the willingness even of the um, bought out politicians or those who uh, get a booster at night um, so that they go along uh, is not as willing, uh, as, as big uh, as go, to go along as here uh, when um, the uh, non-profit organization, um, uh, when uh, a U.S. lawyer achieved a um, a court judgment um, taking down, bringing down the mask mandate in Florida. When that happened, the same day, the very same day, the masks were abolished, and you may have seen the videos, uh, people danced on board airplanes, uh, sometimes even the pilots went along uh, dancing, and they don't dare say, we don't care what the courts say. Here in Europe, we have three court decisions uh, that say PCR tests are not uh, no basis for anything. Uh, one is from uh, Turkey. That's not um, uh, Europe altogether. But uh, nobody was uh, took an interest in that. So I think that the battle or the war will be won over there. But here we'll uh, be left with a pretty damaged battlefield in Europe. Yes, yes, yes. Unfortunately, I have to endorse this view. I, I, I share this view. Uh, if you know the American society somewhat, then you will know that individual freedom really ranks top of the agenda. And the U.S. Uh, still have a very good constitution. It was a little watered down over the past few years and through the uh, Patriot Acts 1 and 2 right after 9-11. In the meantime, there have be others, this knock-on-door policy, for instance, by uh, by by which uh, uh, police officers can knock on the door simply because a neighbor thinks that the, their neighbors are strange. Mm, this was the direct consequence of Dandy Hook. Um, um, this, what was his name? Uh, Tony, Tony Dance. I remember this. I don't remember his name. Um, so the 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 privacy or the inviolate inviolability of, of the home has been undermined but this absolute will uh, to maintain one's personal freedom this is what americans do best in europe uh, this should be the same way because we've also gone through tough times where the people was impressed through feudalism for instance we're all aware of this so we also had to fight for our freedom and for our democracy but in the us uh, this uh, this is a lot stronger and i share your view here we in europe here 
allow ourselves to be actually cheated time and again, but I still have one little hope, and uh, this is the Eastern European uh, peoples, because uh, for them, uh, dictatorship is closer. They still remember those days, and you can they they realize the mechanisms. They re realize well. Stop. We had this before. It looks familiar. So I do still have hope uh, when it comes to the Eastern European nations. If they get their act together and say, we won't join forces with that one, then there is some hope. But um, I said uh, time and again that uh, Europe will shrink uh, and come down to a core Europe and this will probably uh, form along the Eastern European states. But I think that uh, it's true, we've, we've heard from Professor Desmond again and again that it's very important that the voice of the critics remain audible, and I do see Germany as a core country here, because, of course, this is a particularly attractive country because we're still relatively uh, well, be uh, well to do. Well, used to be. Anyway, we have a lot of opportunities, a lot of possibilities, and of course, against this background, if Germany had already been lost because everybody uh, uh, just gives in and goes along, um, then of course um, uh, the other side would have all the possibilities. But uh, as soon as frustration grows along with the measures and um, as the knowledge uh, increases the awareness that people have uh, allowed themselves to be injected with toxins um, so germans tend to go along with a lot of things but once they're uh, they get our rates they do get our rate and i think we have to get uh, be careful with yes, that yes 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 i share your view you said something really important. This voice of resistance must continue. Professor um, uh, Desmond said it very clearly. Uh, what uh, people need in such times, you want to be part of the good ones, you actually withdraw, you resign, uh, stay away from political will formation. And this is, of course, strengthened if the critical voices really die away. And this is uh, became particularly uh, clear when we had this freedom convoy in Canada. Um, it uh, uh, produced such a strong effect. Uh, it, it actually gave hope to many, many people around the globe. And you need this little piece of hope, hoping that it's not all over. But if you feel totally ignored and, and, and stand alone with your opinion, then you resign and you, you your voice uh, dies away. And the freedom truckers, I can only praise them time and again, they helped to do away with this. And this gave a massive thrust for the resistance. Uh, movement and it has um, motivated many many people to actually um, follow the protests maybe not in the front line but uh, because freedom truckers gave them the feeling we're not isolated we're not alone and many others share of you well that's the impression they create they create an illusion because i estimate um, that by and large 96 percent of what we see is pure illusion it's just panic mongering psycho terror 
people move into a condition that the other side wants, but that doesn't reflect reality. This is the only way to explain uh, why people allow themselves to uh, get shots, even though there is no reason for it at all. It's not about the fact only that this stuff doesn't work, that it's uh, dangerous above all, but that there's no necessity at all. That's the most important thing, because there's no pandemic, and uh, it's also not the case that we have no alternatives. Instead, nobody denies that there's a virus out there. Uh, it looks like it was manufactured, um, and science seems to uh, point that way. But if our immune system is um, well um, and hasn't been destroyed with masks and other measures, it can handle it. So it's an, uh, amazing how in Western Europe, where the pressure seems to be particularly high, how many people go along in Western Europe. I personally, I believe, uh, disconnect from all these international organizations, be it uh, global corporations or NGOs, they're all dominated by the same people, but it also includes NATO. It's a pure criminal organization, an attack organization by all uh, that we've uh, found out so far. And I also believe that the EU is going in the wrong uh, direction altogether. You're in the middle of it, and I'm happy that there are be uh, that there be people who are in the midst of it and who speak out. But I, bottom line, I do believe that the system itself, with all its institutions, has been undermined for so many years that it's no longer salvable, that we need something new. We ourselves, we individual citizens, have to recognize that we have sovereignty, that we have possibilities of achieving this. What's your view on this, Ms. Anderson? Yes, um, you're absolutely right, um, saying uh, the national sovereignty, Article 20, Section 2 of the uh, fundamental law, the democratic principles, uh, these are under such an amount of attack, systematic attack. Um, they defragmentize. Uh, citizens should only uh, look here. Look, look here, this is the interesting bit. What we're doing down there, well, it shouldn't be of interest to you. But through this defragmentation, and this is uh, um, Professor Mausfeld has said it, this fragmentation uh, means that you lose sight of the, the whole picture, the big picture. And the big picture, to my mind, is that, in fact, a pliable mass is to be controlled that you can, can control and maneuver. And democratic principle, principles are to be um, dismantled uh, because for the global elites, without actually giving any names here, for the global elites, uh, citizens with democratic rights are just annoying. They're ultimately annoying. And this is why they're looking for ways to do away with them. When you do it the way you they did it in the, the past with totalitarian regimes and uh, uh, people are locked up in prisons, no, you have to be fast. Uh, this can't work anymore. Today, you do it with gaslighting, with manipulation. People are told stories. We also uh, 
see this new definition of uh, the the German Bundesverfassungsschutz. Uh, we're talking about left extremism, right-wing extremism. These were clearly delimited areas. Now we're doing with a general dissatisfaction of the citizens who actually have created a bill for themselves, a demos. This is neither left nor right, very hard to grasp. You, and now they have come up with the idea, now we are referring this to actually talking down political institutions, delegitimization of state institutions or denigration. So there was a new fact created under which everything can be summed up. Everything that is criticism voiced at policymaking. We saw how to work in Canada. The freedom truckers, they were referred to as terrorists. And the whole toolkit uh, was available to, to actually um, fight them. Most politicians, most uh, representatives in parliaments are no longer representatives of their citizens, quite on the contrary. And this is a huge problem, and this needs to be brought down to the people. And uh, if you use examples uh, to explain, uh, let's look at the WHO. Right now, it's it's off the table, but um, a non-elected body it was to be given the executive power over nations. This is absurd. Uh, who is accountable for citizens? This body is not is accountable to anybody, apart uh, with the exception of, of the ones that are actually giving them millions. The European Parliament took a relatively clear position at one time vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the uh, EMA when it came to the publication of or non-publication of clinical studies um, by EMA. And they didn't um, authorize uh, the EMA budget at the time, putting a lot of pressure on it. And I thought that was a good uh, approach. Um, a lot of things did change after that. So are there any uh, efforts there uh, in uh, with a view to transparency at EMA or their decisions? I'm thinking of the definition, for instance, of the um, status of being vaccinated. It was um, said at some stage, across Europe it seems to be the case that you're only vaccinated or fully vaccinated if you've been vaccinated twice at least and after the first vac um, vaccine, um, or the, after the first jab, you're unvaccinated and uh, up until two weeks after the second jab, they're still unvaccinated. And that's very relevant because that's when the uh, the largest number of acute uh, adverse effects uh, occur. Oh, myocarditis, uh, thrombosis, etc. The first, uh, the, the deaths, most deaths occur in the first two or three weeks after these jabs. They're blanked out. Uh, how is this possible? Who defines it? And is there a discussion about this? I'd like to know. Are there any questions that are being raised there? Why aren't they counted? Because that has a huge impact on people. Also, when it comes to damages, um, I mean, damage claims, and also. 
uh, epidemiology, the, the image that we have of these jabs. So I think it's very important that we say, justify why do you start counting on it only two weeks after? How come that the adverse effects, even if they include uh, substances that boost the immune system, they uh, have an immediate effect and they can have uh, severe adverse effects. Why is that simply passed um, through? Why does EMA say no harm? Well, of course, this question is being asked. My colleague Sylvia Nimmer um, deals with this question in the committee, um, but they're not interested in raising these questions like you just did, where you could actually arrive at a valid definition of when you're vaccinated, fully vaccinated or whatever. They're not interested in that at all, because if that was actually defined uh, bindingly, then they wouldn't have the possibility anymore of adjusting this definition, as we saw in Germany, that the um, certificate for uh, people who recovered uh, was valid for six months initially, then it was reduced to three. Then um, you were fully vaccinated with two uh, jabs, then it uh, became three jabs. In Canada, for instance, you have to have at least three jabs to be fully vaccinated, but half a year uh, later, you have to get the fifth, uh, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. So the questions you're raising, they don't want to answer those questions, and they don't want to discuss that either, because again, this would mean that they deprive themselves of the basis, the justification of why they uh, might have to adjust this. The question that really needs to be raised and discussed is not how many uh, jabs do we need or is it good or bad or indifferent? The question that needs to be asked is why don't the citizens understand that under the pretext of a vaccination requirement, under the pretext of uh, public health, democracy, freedom are brushed aside? That is the key question. Because obviously the uh, psychological terror that Matthias Desmet uh, uh, described in a, in a very plausible way, because this psychological terror, when you people menace with the health, um, that they might lose their lives if they don't look about their health, then they, they join in, they do everything. And as long as the mainstream media actually report the same nonsense day and night, uh, this is what we I watched in the USA, and when you actually overlap for these uh, 50 different news channels, they could actually form a choir. They have the, exactly the same sentences that they say. And the people who can simply not imagine or don't want to imagine that our own state is no longer our state, uh, but uh, rather uh, web, uh, structures, they can't imagine that our own state wants to do something bad. Too, they think they're just too, too stupid take, uh, taking the, the money and, and, and running. Uh, but as soon as the population understands Stands, and the Americans are closer to that point than we are, as, uh, that this is about uh, uh, life and death, um, it'll take some more time. And by then, a few more people will have to lose their lives. You just touched upon a very important aspect, which is a big problem, particularly in the Western democracies. My generation, I'm 54 years of age, we 
grew up in freedom and democracy, for us that was a matter of course. And if you are maybe 20 years younger, they have no contact uh, with dictatorships anymore or with uh, totalitarian regimes, particularly as in the schools, the communist totalitarian system is blanked out deliberately. So that means uh, that the reason why there is much more uh, criticism in Eastern Europe is that they know that freedom and democracy are not a godsend, that you have to fight for it again and again and again. Quote, if you sleep in a democracy, you wake up in a dictatorship. So young, those young people don't even understand this anymore. They don't appreciate anymore that uh, freedom of democracy had to be fought for. Blood was shed. Our ancestors took that upon themselves to fight it, to get it out of the ruling classes. And for us, it's uh, been like we've always had freedom and democracy. It's nothing we have to fight for. And that's why we in the Western democracies are in such a difficult situation. Plus, we here may have um, been dealing with this topic for a um, bit longer with me. The trigger was a subprime crisis in the uh, U.S. that then led to the EU, uh, to the Euro crisis, etc., etc. So for 15 years now, I've been looking at this type of thing. Now, if I um, talk to citizens who start having a little bit of a grumbling um, sensation in their guts. They feel that there's something awry here, but they can't put their hands on it. They might start thinking about that maybe the government aren't really interested in the well-being of their citizens. That's a long and slow, painful process of acknowledgement that your own government is fucking you around, pardon my French. This is really um, like a victim of um, uh, betrayal. Uh, a lot of people don't um, complain to the police uh, if they have been uh, defrauded because they're so ashamed of it. So it takes a long time for people to understand and to acknowledge that actually, yes, my government doesn't want the best for me. So more and more people are beginning to see this uh, a bit more critically. And if we um, try to show them the full picture all of a sudden, then they shut down and don't want to know anything about it anymore. It's too much. But the decisive difference between us in the West and the Eastern Europeans, and you said this before, this is what Mr. Sinchich told me as well, is that they can still well remember how a totalitarian With us, it's three uh, generations ago, and people can... That's correct. And if I um, may interrupt you there, sorry. We were always taught that totalitarianism can only come from the right. That's uh, on top. Leftist uh, totalitarianism doesn't exist. That's 
on top of that. Good, you said it, uh, because this is exactly one of the explanations why the Americans act so differently, because they always had their sights on the, the left-wing parties uh, rather than the uh, right-wing activists, and they're now being justified in their views. They can at least remember collectively that there was the Second Amendment, and I've changed my opinion about this completely, the Second Amendment, uh, the, this is uh, uh, the right to wear arms, uh, because uh, back then the Americans uh, who became Americans um, w had to uh, actually flee from their own governments. They were persecuted, and they said, this is what we need, the right to wear weapons, just in case our government actually turns their back on us again or right, fights true. us. That was always the reason, reason why they uh, brought in this amendment, they have the right to bear arms, and the second sentence is never mentioned. It says there, in order to fight a totalitarian government, or to be able to fight government that wants to be oppressive. So, the reason, as you say, why they have a right, uh, why a right to, to bear arms is not mentioned. I have a little question about the uh, psychological attitude of the EU parliamentarians, the ones who, who, who uh, are part of the game. Is it, uh, did you have the impression that uh, they assume uh, the direction it's going, but believe that uh, they can have some of the crumbles falling off the uh, big table by actually uh, going with the flow? Because it, it's all small fish and they're replaceable, thinking of the big picture um, in, in, a, in such a configuration that we are heading towards an EU parliament is superfluous. That's a good question. I've always said nobody needs this um, um, parliament here. Um, but to answer your question, the problem, while well, I uh, fully um, realize that I'm a small that I'm a small fry, but no, 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 that's true. I fully realize that. Just like I realize that the EU Parliament has no say. It's not even a democratically legitimized parliament, but that's a different discussion. So I fully realize that I'm not of any import at all. But the point is that the other uh, MEPs, particularly those from the established parties, have no clue. They're so full of themselves, how important they are. They run around with the hybrids. They really are full of themselves. So they never have the notion that they mightn't be important. To me, it's really obvious. But it's interesting, this cognitive dissonance that they walk around with, on the one hand, they're really important. On the other hand, as a parliament, they don't have the classical sovereignty that a parliament should command. They displace this. They don't want to know about it. They are really carried by this hybris to be um, God's gift. How do you uh, view the uh, um, proposed uh, reform of elections? Because the elections of the European Parliament is to be completely organized. What is the state of discussions there? So what is the, the situation among parliamentarians right now? Well, there was this conference on the future of Europe, 
where 50,000 citizens uh, were involved who were fully randomly handpicked, I swear, of course they were. Those were handpicked people from NGOs, from some grassroots movements, activists, but all of them from uh, the uh, spectrum that uh, says the EU is great and we need the EU super um, state. So the Commission, which is basically the EU government, now picked 50,000 citizens that tell the Commission what the Commission should have done with a view to the future of Europe. And this will be used as a justification to say we did ask the citizens. So the status is that the conference is over. And again, it wasn't about any critical questioning of the role of the Council of Minister, um, Ministers in its uh, dual function uh, of a um, executive represent, uh, representation of the national represent, uh, executives with legislative powers at the uh, EU level. So that wasn't uh, questioned at all. We are building the uh, this European house and um, they do everything to push it in the right direction and all sorts of mechanisms are used uh, all going into that direction. And this target of a uh, European super uh, state is only one jigsaw puzzle uh, piece in this overall target of disenfranchising uh, citizens. So it all goes in that direction. What they want is to uh, force a European people, and a people is always um, created from the bottom up. It has to grow over uh, centuries. You can't um, force this, but they want to force it. So transnationalists will come uh, at the next with the next uh, EU uh, election. It will only be uh, 28 seats, might be 46 uh, seats, because that would uh, be the residual British seats that haven't been redistributed. Uh, those would be 46 seats then that will be elected transnationally. What does that mean? First of all, you have to be a member of the European party in order to be able to participate in this uh, election. That's a formalism, though. The cr uh, crucial point is that the citizens in the member states, so the European peoples will have to elect representatives whom they can't even understand, whom they can't communicate with, because a Greek uh, voter might have uh, to vote for, a, a, a decide between a, a Danish and a, a Poland, a Pole and a Spaniard. It's an extremely uh, elitist idea. Well, then people have to uh, speak different languages. And that, by the way, comes from the left and from the Greens. So I find that uh, quite remarkable. No, the citizen must be able to communicate their political will so that they can uh, form a political will. How can, how can anybody represent me who doesn't understand me? So again, a hurdle is created for any 
possibility of political representation. We see the same thing in the EU Parliament even now. It is a Babylonian uh, language mix here. Everything is translated and uh, interpreted, of course, all uh, nice and beautiful. But if you know anything about language, you will know that you may translate a few things word by word. But there might be different nuances, different meanings in different languages, because these languages did not grow uh, within a, a community of people sharing the same fate. And if a Polish colleague gets up in uh, the plenary, I can have that translated into German. But that doesn't mean that he actually said what I hear as, uh, in terms of a translation. You can see that with my own speeches. And that's why I actually give a lot of my speech in English, speeches in English now. If you look at the English translation of my German uh, speeches, you really have to turn around run away. And I'm really ashamed because what they translate is a, um, an incredible stammering um, to summarize in the last sentence in a rudimentary fashion of what I might have said, possibly, but it's just not true. Maybe um, my speeches are a particular challenge, I don't know. Maybe the the interpreters don't want to translate what i said that may have played a role but those are the problems we have and that is a problem with the transnational lists if in a parliamentary democracy um, then citizens need to be able to elect uh, parliamentary representatives but they need to be able to communicate with them at least I uh, see major conflicts there. I've acquired my own experience there. Um, I know that uh, a large part of the politicians for for election come through lists. So this is people who are very, very close to their parties. And this is really creepers' careers, so uh, brown uh, noses. Uh, they say, I do what uh, the uh, uh, committee says, and the party will make sure that people are elected that you can influence. But this is not what we want to see. We want people who are not loyal to their uh, party's board, but loyal to the people that have uh, elected them. So when we want to practice democracy, then the role of the parties uh, must be questioned when it comes to putting together the lists. Parties as tools of forming a political will, okay, fine, you can discuss this, and individual politi politicians can refer to this, but those who are candidates are then actually put up by party congresses that are completely controlled by the boards of those parties is something Thing, I think that also weakens the uh, um, uh, self-confidence. Uh, if I am not behaving, I won't be put up as a candidate again. This is exactly the pressure why many colleagues uh, are afraid of speaking up when somebody has been bribed at the, at the uh, top of the party. Yes, you're completely right. The fact that political parties lead to a negative selection in um, choosing their protagonists. <clears throat> it's true that if you want to be elected by a, a party convention, you really have to be careful of uh, what you say. 
That is a real problem indeed. And yes, I have to be quite candid here. And I still say what I think. And I say what I think and I think what I say. So I really believe that uh, I'd rather be not elected for some somebody I am for being sele uh, elected for uh, being for pretending to be someone and I'm uh, running into problems uh, because your memory uh, tends to suffer a bit uh, as you grow older well I really would have to uh, remember what I said to uh, somebody in what situation in order not uh, in order to avoid any contradictions so I have my conviction and I stand over it and I uh, do that uh, strictly and if that means that I'm not on um, some people's favorites list then that's the way but it is a problem which could of course be overcome by uh, a system of direct um, candidacies or at least um, to an extent even though these direct candidates are elected um, by the party again, but then the parties will have to think of who to um, choose because a direct candidate will only be elected if they represent the people or the constituency. You're right, but yes, in the political parties there is negative selection. Uh, how does the EU perceive uh, some of the people who are seen so critically in alternative media. Mrs. von der Leyen with her steel helmet um, has uh, not been uh, seen as being very competent uh, in Germany. And now her husband uh, um, is seen as one of the beneficials, uh, beneficiaries of genetic products. Is this being discussed at all? Because he's working in a leading position at uh, this company or this uh, health commissioner, Kuriakis, who all of a sudden had five or four million euros on, uh, in her accounts uh, sent by Pfizer. Is this hushed up or is this being discussed? Well, in the official discourse, um, it is hushed up. We can talk about it, of course. Um, there's a, a tool there, the so-called one-minute speeches, and I use that frequently. You only have one uh, minute, uh, and you can speak about any topic you like. <coughs> and here we can talk about this. Uh, for instance, the um, story about the WHO, I uh, mentioned that um, there in one of those speeches. But the problem is that Parliament is empty. Nobody's there physically. When I count uh, the members uh, present, I did that on one day. There were, uh, at the end of a speech, I uh, counted how many were there. That was somewhere between 12 and 17 members present. 12 and 17, that's the range. Of 705 M MEPs, actually, the only time that the plenary is full is when we have votes. And then everybody has to be uh, in presence. Uh, during the pandemic, we could participate via our online vote. So the parliament is empty. There is no debate going on there. there. A debate is a pro and con and uh, exchange of arguments. We debate about something and then we 
take a vote so that uh, MEPs can decide this was a good argument, that wasn't. That doesn't happen there. We talk to empty seats there. There is no debating there. And it's not like you give a speech and another uh, colleague will refer back to it in their speech. That doesn't happen. Everybody only places their message, and that's that. So officially, there's no discussing of it. <laughs> there's no uh, desire to do so. Now concerning Ms. von der Leyen, in Germany, she uh, fell over. Well, you can't say fall over. Nobody falls over anything anymore. But it was this email affair, these deleted emails. She did it differently now. She communicates, particularly with the pharmaceutical uh, industry. She does that via SMS, and SMS are not subject to um, transparency. She doesn't have to uh, delete them uh, even. She doesn't have to show them. So um, um, there are ways and means to make sure that they don't have to be disclosed. And um, there are um, some uh, colleagues in the um, European Parliament who uh, talk about these. Um, and we disclose these things, but we don't have the oomph. Well, we make it uh, public to a wider public, but it doesn't reach the mainstream, and that is the problem. We actually introduced this uh, fact of bribery of uh, um, uh, members of parliament. Does this also apply to the European Parliament? I wouldn't know, to be honest. I can imagine that this is um, a case, but I can't tell you. But I'll, I'll um, look it up. If so, does this only apply to the German members of parliament that they are actually liable to punishment in Germany? Or is there also an analog system punishing this on the European level? Well, I could imagine that the Germans would be stupid enough to uh, subject themselves uh, as the only MEPs of all. But um, I imagine that if this is the case, it would be subject to EU um, competence, actually. One last question. We had um, an interview with Tess, I think, and he uh, actually said that he was standing outside the EU Parliament and couldn't uh, enter it. I think it. I think it was about masks, if I'm not wrong. Was this really so that without a mask, as an MEP, you couldn't enter the EU Parliament? Not quite. Not quite. The situation uh, was such that uh, even in the EU Parliament, the uh, digital COVID certificate was introduced, so you were only um, allowed to enter the uh, EU Parliament building um, if you were either vaccinated or if you didn't have that. You had uh, to have a, a current PCR test. Uh, that was absurd, of course. So it uh, wasn't allowed to be a German PCR test. So if they fl uh, flew out to um, uh, 
to Brussels. They had to have a PCR test for their flights, at least, but that wasn't sufficient to get into the EU Parliament. Imagine, this is absurdistan, Purin out. So they had a container outside the building where you could get your PCR test. But the problem was uh, it took hours, uh, 24 hours before we got the result. So if I uh, fly in on Monday as an MEP, then the German people has a right or a claim to my doing my job immediately. So no, I couldn't do that. I had to wait until Tuesday. Well, we could argue now, okay. I could have uh, uh, flown in on Sunday. No, they closed this this container, so you couldn't get the test. Um, so absurd. And the fact that uh, democratically elected representatives of the people uh, are subject to certain conditions before they can enter parliament is a severe attack on a parliamentary democracy. But. He um, couldn't get in. We f uh, filed a lawsuit that the European Court of Justice uh, sustained initially um, with an injunction. So um, a PCR test um, was no longer required. A uh, rapid test would have been uh, sufficient. But this injunction was then um, retrieved by the European Court of Justice. Uh, concerning the masks, um, mask mandate, that was even more absurd. I didn't wear a mask. I have a an exemption, a medical exemption from uh, the mask mandate. That was verified by the medical service of the parliament. I had to submit documents. But of course, there was uh, the um, accusation that I had um, uh, fabricated this excuse. Uh, so um, I got this certificate and of course the um, chairperson uh, of the um, uh, committee didn't care at all and she really bullied me to put on a mask while she was sitting there without a mask because there was an exemption for the uh, committee chair uh, people. They didn't have to wear a mask. She bullied me. She didn't um, release the microphone for me. She called security uh, officers into the room, and I had to discuss with them, what What are you going to do here? Do you want to carry me out? And they said, no, no, of course not. Well, then, what? what's the plan here? What's supposed to happen here? So incredible stuff going down. And she really managed to uh, kick me out of the committee uh, with the support of the late uh, EU President, uh, EU, uh, Parliament President Zatsoli. And it wasn't a question of, well, my, uh, some colleagues said they don't feel safe if I don't wear a mask uh, in this uh, room. So it was completely absurd what went down there. So that's the madness that happened there. And the mask mandate. Uh, was only lifted a few weeks ago in the EU Parliament. However, in Belgium, all measures concerning masks and uh, dis social distancing were already lifted on the 18th of May of last year. So in the EU Parliament, we walked around with a mask to leave the EU Parliament and uh, cross the road. And then we went into 
tightly packed restaurants, um, bars, etc., without a mask. All colleagues who felt threatened uh, by an unmasked colleague in the committee meeting uh, went along with that. Uh, so, as um, an average MEP, you should uh, see that this is quite a contradiction. <laughs> One should imagine, yes, but no. Yeah, the brain is switched off. That's That seems to be a fact. Mrs. Anderson, we are happy that you are still here, that you and your colleagues are raising the, your voices, and I don't have the impression that uh, you're easy to push out of the settle. We are very grateful to you, very grateful. It was a wonderful, very important conversation about nasty things, but it again provided more clarity because many people can simply not imagine that you're uh, speaking in the EU or Parliament, and others too, you're not the only one, and of the 705 MEPs, there are only 12 to 17 people listening. So you, you, you can actually evaluate the importance. Yeah, none. None at all. And that's why we don't need this parliament. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'd like to thank you for the invitation, and I have to tell you, you do a great job as well because we um, said earlier that the voice of the resistance must not fade away. Really, like, we will be in touch privately because we have to discuss more topics, I think. Okay. Uh, so thank you very much indeed. I thank you. Bye-bye. Our next guest is Dr. Dietrich Klinghardt. He's a holistic physician, scientist. He studied medicine in Freiburg, and since 82, he has been working as a physician in the U.S. He has published a number of books, including the the lesson for kinesiology, then a handbook for mental field technology. And this is very in practice, and he's the editor of the journal Neurobiology Here and Now. Um, he actually has experienced a lot uh, also in view of the COVID situation and the uh, vaccine injuries and COVID injuries, and will now actually report about this, and I'm very excited. Uh, Dr. Klingert, can you hear us? Yes. Hello. I can hear you very well. Well, do you want me to get started or do you want to ask questions? Yes, 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 get started right away. Uh, yeah, yeah, but let's stay, stick to the first name basis. Okay, fine, wonderful. All right, well, I uh, practice uh, medicine in Seattle, and Seattle is where Corona started in January 2020. But we had two cases of uh, weird uh, pneumonia back in August of 2019, where we had kept the uh, blood samples and tested it uh, later on. It uh, tested positively for corona uh, under the PCR test uh, from August 2019, and they both were from Texas. So they lived near a large bio lab in Texas. Just uh, as a side, so we were involved early on. The big uh, outbreak in Seattle was in an old age home in a suburb called Kirkland. 
and the main hospital there is called Evergreen Hospital. And my uh, practice is on um, the um, suburb, in that suburb. And um, I was very surprised when this outbreak occurred so that the elderly who uh, were affected by this pneumonia were uh, obliged to go to the hospital rather than co contacting their um, doctor, um, their family doctor. Uh, they were obliged to go to the hospital immediately, and that was something that I found quite weird. And I have been looking into the radiation um, issue with 3G, 5G, etc. for many years, and the interesting thing is that this outbreak was in Kirkland, the pl uh, place that proudly announced a few months earlier that it was the first place in the U.S. Uh, anywhere in the U.S. Uh, fully equipped with 5G. And then these people were hospitalized and the death rate was 60%. Uh, so of 10 people who were, who were admitted to hospital there, only four got out alive. And this hospital also proudly uh, stated that they are the first hospital fully equipped with 5G. And on that basis, I... Uh, uh, suggested two studies, one by Mike Harvis um, and another study by a physicist uh, who both showed that there is a clear um, connection between the uh, 5G density, 5G uh, radiation density and um, COVID deaths. Um, scientists are aware of that, uh, but the public is not, that there is a huge correlation here that cannot be denied. From Spain, there are studies that were never published, but that uh, where an attempt had been made to publish them, but they were rejected, who show the same correlation where you have the highest radiation density, um, 5G, uh, 3G is not quite uh, harmless either. You have the highest um, concentration of this disease. Why am I saying this? Because I was uh, called up and the death rate went down from 60% to nearly zero by my intervention, by my medical uh, activity. I have a Chinese colleague who works with me. She's a doctor as well, a medical doctor. He, she speaks uh, fluent Chinese. And so in January 2020, I asked her, can you look up literature, what they know in China about it? And it had all been published back then um, by the end of December 2019, the Chinese had already published good in vitro studies about COVID that indicated that uh, ivermectin is helpful, that hydro, uh, hydroxychloroquine is very uh, effective at all, that all uh, other anti-parasite uh, um, medication is very uh, effective, and antivirals such as amantadine. And what wasn't effective at all in this study was remdesivir, which the uh, patients were obliged to take. And a study from China, December 2019, showed remdesivir doesn't work, is dangerous, it damages the kidneys in 20 to 25% uh, of people. Uh, we all knew it already. And then uh, via my network, the local uh, physicians, and then internationally, I uh, published that the Chinese 
have had gr- uh, great success with hydrochloroquine, uh, which needs to be combined, however, with zinc and heparin, and ideally with an antibiotic. So with this uh, COVID, uh, we still don't know today, is it a virus or something else we're dealing with? And it was uh, confirmed by Didier Raoul, this uh, great French virologist, who also published it and was penalized for it, that it would uh, be appropriate to uh, combine hydrochloroquine with Citromax. And then we uh, realized very uh, quickly that the first studies gave hydrochloroquine, no zinc, no Cyclomax, no heparin, which they had uh, shown in the Chinese studies to be necessary. So the studies designed to show that it's not um, working, they left out Im- uh, important admixtures. The studies that included all the important uh, substances, zinc, uh, heparin, and an antibiotic, they all were successful. And you probably discussed this uh, um, facts um, that in March or April, the New England Medicine of, uh, Journal of Medicine and another uh, journal studied this uh, pseudo a uh, study how dangerous uh, hydrochloroquine is, that people die by their uh, droves. And then it showed that these studies were, these data were from a computer modeling uh, agency. It's not patient data, but a computer model. And then the WHO immediately um, withdrew any uh, research funds um, for any studies with hydrochloroquine those researching research institutions, hospitals, whatever they were, wouldn't get any money anymore at all. And then two weeks later, the study was retracted because it became apparent that those were uh, pseudo data, was scientific um, fraud uh, involving the two main physical uh, medical journals. But the media worldwide published that hydrochloroquine was very dangerous. And when the study was retracted, there was no press news um, that um, reported about that. So in uh, the minds of doctors, of people, and of the media, this um, idea continued that hydrochloroquine is so uh, so dangerous. And WHO, its denial of research funds um, for hydrochloroquine was never retracted. So there are no research funds based on these fraudulent uh, data. It's a scientific fraud. I uh, got a a doctor's um, degree, of course, so I know something about science. So we try always to use scientific data. And since these two studies that were published, despite the retraction, we distrust, we uh, physicians distrust anything that is published um, in the media. We really have to fall back on ourselves and we have to hope that in the literature of uh, third countries, third um, world countries uh, from India or Cuba, we can find honest reports. Even in China, we can do that. Um, in Russia, absolutely, but nothing honest anymore in the Western literature that we can re- rely on. That is 
not a big disaster for us because or I uh, my specialty uh, in uh, practice is the treatment of autistic uh, children and 20 years ago we learned that we only are dealing with myths with all these studies concerning the vaccines and the correlation between vaccination with little children and autism. If I have 10 children every day, they all have the same story. The mother says, yes, that child was healthy, who was speaking already was uh, completely neurotypical, and then uh, he or she was vaccinated, and two days later, no eye contact anymore, nothing anymore. A child can't talk anymore, can't behave normally anymore, isn't eating anymore. If you hear that 10 times over a day, and then there's a study 15 years later, we took a closer look, and it says, there is no correlation between vaccinations and autism. What should we think of that? So for me, even 20 years ago, it was clear to me what was happening. Uh, and all this story uh, about Corona, we've gone, we um, physicians treating, successfully treating autistic children, I have to say, uh, we have known that as well. There are others who uh, go by the guidelines who can't uh, heal a single child, but us who um, know how to treat these children, we've been confronted with these lies for decades, uh, and we know that the literature published doesn't ref uh, reflect the truth that many data are uh, fraudulent, etc. Sorry, I'm ad living a bit here. The, uh, some time ago, uh, there was this great uh, speech by um, uh, Mr. Biden, our president here in the U.S., where he said uh, that the statistics show that many more people, uh, unvaccinated people die of COVID than uh, vaccinated people. And we looked at the data he referred to, and they classified any patient as unvaccinated who had been vaccinated only twice. In his statistics, those were the unvaccinated the vaccinated were those who had got three or four jabs. Now it is well known statistically that the highest uh, death rate with COVID was the second vaccination. And all these vaccinations, those uh, deaths were allocated to unvaccinated. And those who got the third vaccine uh, the, uh, were the ones who survived, survived the second jab, the ones who were immune. And this uh, has been spread all around the world uh, by the German data, the um, health insurances, the uh, media, they all use these statistics. The number of severe cases of hospitalization, of ICU admissions, this is all full of unvaccinated and um, far fewer people are the vaccinated because the unvaccinated are those who've only been vaccinated twice now. And this fraud, well, you're at the source of it all. This fraud is pervasive, is ubiquitous. Let's get back to my work. We started early on to treat people in the epicenter of America, and we immediately managed within two weeks to reduce the death rate from 60% to less than half a percent by my contacts and the work with hydrochloroquine uh, later on we found other 
uh, options in the literature that are even less invasive, such as the uh, the work with pepside AC. That's what we call it. It's an old um, uh, medication against ulcers, an H2 blocker. And this uh, study was published back in March 2020 that suggested that this H2 blocker, you can buy it in any uh, gas station in the US, um, um, over the counter, uh, a month long treatment course of treatment costs $5. And I just read that this achieves fantastic results with acute corona cases. Then I got a a uh, phone call from uh, Florida that's uh, three hours ahead of us in Seattle from a um, couple who had just arrived uh, from Europe and in the middle of the night they got severe uh, cases of cor uh, symptoms of corona. Uh, he was uh, found uh, breathing very hard. His wife um, knew me and she called me. Um, so it was uh, 2 a.m. Uh, for them, 11 for me at night. And she asked me, what can we do? And I, I asked, like, uh, can you give me the uh, phone number of um, your hotel? And I called the hotel, then the bellman there. And I said, look, we'll pay you very well, but uh, go uh, get to the nearest gas station, uh, be the H2 blocker and give it to them. And then in the morning, I got the phone call, Dr. Klinghardt, you're an angel. All the symptoms are gone. And then we did that uh, not only with my own patients, uh, but I have hundreds of doctors worldwide who follow my advice, and they did that. They uh, spread the news, and with this simple medication, they saved tens of thousands of lives. It's 80 milligrams twice daily for a few days until uh, the disease cannot be felt anymore until the symptoms are gone. So that means the trade name is PEPZID. And then the, uh, followed by the letters AC. The pharmaceutical name is Famucidine. Uh, the only country where you need um, a prescription for it, guess where? Is guess where? Germany. <laughs> In all other countries, it's uh, over the county. You can get it over the uh, internet. A fantastic um, um, medication. Um, you may feel uh, fatigued, but the lung symptoms are uh, gone. Uh, you don't feel like you're um, asphyxiating, uh, which drives people to A&E, which was their death um, sentence oftentimes. She's my patient as well. Uh, we're close friends. Uh, we um, influence each other. Um, that's one of my heroes. We've known each other for a long time in 2006, just before the uh, financial collapse. We had a think tank in California, uh, and um, there were uh, 10 people, and Judy was one of them. We uh, know uh, each other very well. She uh, pointed us in the right direction. Her main thing are retroviruses, and I can say something about that as well, right? 
it's clear today from genome analyses. If you take a look at the genome of COVID, that there are uh, large segments of HIV retroviruses, uh, but also prion uh, segments. So genetic um, sequences that code for uh, false proteins and in treating long COVID, the chronic form, where everybody fails because they try to treat it like a normal virus, no can do. This virus has a virus um, part, but also the retroviral uh, part and the prion segment. And they need to be treated in parallel with a chronic uh, version. We spoke about the acute um, um, aspects. Hydrochloroquine was great. Uh, um, Pepsid is great. Ivermectin um, uh, is great uh, because the forces, uh, the powers that be, allowed that ivermectin is being discussed. Um, it's a relatively weak medication. It works, but it's not impressive compared to the um, things we already had. And I can see it quite clearly why um, everybody knows, um, every um, pediatric uh, knows about ivermectin, uh, but nobody knows about uh, Pepsid um, because it's very cheap and um, easy to administer. Ivermectin uh, was worth a Nobel Prize. It's uh, cheap in other countries, but not so impressive in terms of its uh, efficacy. Well, um, how you distinguish long COVID from the consequences of an injection, the RNA injections? How do you do the differential diagnosis? Well, I'll get there later. Of course, the uh, vaccination uh, provokes much worse uh, effects. We see the same uh, damage uh, that we see with uh, from COVID, the retroviral um, uh, component, the viral um, um, aspect, the uh, prions. Uh, and with the uh, vaccination, we see uh, increase of cancer. We see a very severe um, aspects. So we never saw that with the so-called natural uh, form of uh, COVID. We don't see this reactivation of uh, cancers. That's massive. You can see that with uh, our patients. I've been in the U.S. for 40 years now, and I, I have known patients for 40 years who have been um, living well with their uh, cancers for 10, 12 years. It was well uh, under control. In my practice, there was a vaccination ban. I have 16 staff members and it was clear, okay, if you want to get vaccinated, you are welcome to do so. But it's the end of your work relationship with me. We don't accept uh, vaccinated people to uh, work here due to the shedding and other problems we can observe. And there was also a ban on masks in my practice, and patients were told that if you feel that you can only walk around with a mask, uh, you're not welcome here as a patient, because it's important for us, for our diagnostics, to see uh, the face and to hear the language, the speech. And all of that is part of the diagnos uh, diagnosis. It was very well received. and. 
I uh, surprisingly it didn't run into problems with that. In uh, despite this difficult state I live in, Washington is a democratic state where all the rules were implemented very strictly. But interestingly enough, uh, very few people actually implemented them. That's the beauty about America. There's these strong rules. But there's always uh, this gray area, whether they're uh, persecuted or not. Um, that's uh, another story. In Germany, if there's a rule, then uh, the state is always behind it with uh, uh, a gun to defend them. So concerning the adverse um, vaccination effects, we can see this retroviral share that needs to be treated with the adverse effects. We see the vascular damage. We see a resurgence of all sorts of symptoms. Anything people had since they were born are more likely to resurge after the vaccination. And the treatment shouldn't be uh, targeted at the uh, symptoms, but uh, to uh, removing uh, the vaccine. Of course, we're not stupid. There are graphene oxide and uh, graphene uh, compounds there. And with some batches, you all know that. I'm probably uh, preaching to the converted here that there are uh, different batches of the same vaccines had different uh, uh, ingredients. We had uh, a microscopic analysis where we could see um, some jellyfish-like um, organisms that moved in some vaccines but not other batches. And it's also said that 95% uh, of Ad severe adverse effects are due to 5% of the batches of the vaccines. And um, we are fully aware of the fact that this is not by coincidence, but that, uh, that this is um, part of major experiments. But we do very well with um, removing the um, vaccines. How do you dose the hydroxychloroquine? Well, we always still start with 200 milligrams uh, twice daily and um, carry on for uh, more than five days. The studies in the WHO program, do you know that they used up to 10 times the dose? Yes, yes. You also know that there are differences by all means in terms of the, the, the dosage regarding the toxicity. I looked at this said really in detail and warned people uh, to continue these studies and I called for putting an end to these studies because in the studies people did not uh, really look at uh, 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 patients with uh, uh, phobism because they are short of air when they are actually administered this for two days. Phobism, hydroxychloroquine is very good. There are practical risks uh, when, when you look at the way it was handled. Well, at this point, let me see. Uh, we, I actually did my um, 
my doctoral thesis on autoimmune uh, diseases. I treated uh, 600 patients with hydroxychloroquine back then. These uh, were people with 6PD mutation for uh, and and uh, they, they don't uh, tolerate it too well. Back then, we said, okay, uh, let's start with the treatment, and if you don't tolerate it, give us a call. Well, the uh, problem seemed to me that the physicians at the ICUs who administered these high doses said, well, people can't breathe any longer, but they thought that it was COVID, due to COVID. This is the major problem. Yeah, horrible, horrible. As I said, we um, advise our people well. In, in my patient base, we uh, always do the genetic analysis for a number of genes, the, the most important genes, they're all tested. And um, this was always included in our diagnostics. So when we start with the uh, 200 milligrams twice a day, that patients watch out for the uh, side effects and that they then stop taking it. Uh, and um, uh, if there, there is not a problem if you don't administer it uh, wrongly. Uh, common sense is uh, uh, recommended. Hemolysis can actually be uh, proven in another way. I think this is very important because in uh, some countries we have 20% of the population with this defect. Yes, true. But in March, April 2020, we already changed over to formatted famotidine. I know in the UK, the uh, people were so uh, surprised that most of the people who died of COVID uh, were blacks, colored people. That was a higher percentage. Such things can have played a role in this. In vaccines, uh, um, more colored people died of the injections than uh, white people. The same happened with the autistic persons. More um, colored people became uh, autistic after the measles vaccination. There is a clear correlation. We know that genetics play a major role here. But I think we, we, we don't have to argue about this. But uh, as an emergency measure, uh, it helped us a lot. We saved a lot of lives with hydroxychloroquine, but always in combination with heparin and zinc. This was overlooked. None of the studies I'm aware of uh, took over the whole system. They only opted for uh, um, hydroxychloroquine, but uh, not the rest. This combination of four of the antibiotic, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and heparin, this was this is uh, crazy to see that people were back on their feet in two days and that we did a lot of good. Um, we always said that a patient should watch out for side effects. Uh, I, I mean, um, this is what I did for my doctoral thesis. Um, when people notice that something goes wrong, the hydroxychloroquine worked immediately. It was not that people had to wait for a week to recover. Uh, once they had administered hydroxychloroquine, they felt a difference in, in hours. Um, and when, when it was not getting better, 
Yeah, it was also done for prevent uh, preventive leave. Uh, even healthy um, health professionals at uh, hospitals were treated preventively with those high dosages, This, which is a problem. Um, Dietrich, don't we have to assume that the official treatment protocol, uh, which is based on Fauci, was uh, um, uh, actually deliberately held back uh, successful treatment options to force people to vaccine to have the jab? Yes, I can comment on this. From January 2020, no pharmacy in the U.S. Uh, was allowed to sell hydroxychloroquine even before the whole thing started. We used it uh, for treating uh, borreliosis. Um, this, uh, I, I've been uh, treating borreliosis for 30 years, and hydroxychloroquine has always been important for Lyme's disease. Um, from January, all of a sudden, in 2020, it was no longer available. We had to import it uh, via India um, clandestinely. Um, and uh, another thing, the chamber of um, uh, the medical chamber in Canada. This is what my colleague sent me. So a letter was sent from the medical chamber to panel doctors, saying that panel doctors will immediately lose their licenses if they uh, dare to administer hydroxychloroquine against COVID. And not only that, in the same letter, all pharmacists were encouraged. Um, uh, to spy on the doctors and as soon as they find a doctor administering hydroxychloroquine it should actually be notified to the medical chamber immediately i have this letter uh, there was no clear way of, of, of saying it really and it was uh, still before uh, this uh, new england uh, journal of medicine the, the falsified study uh, before this was out and the same oh, one of the fantastic uh, drugs uh, in America, there is one uh, um, agent um, that was active agent that was uh, prohibited to, and this is artisanate. This is the injectable form of uh, um, vermouth and uh, and uh, Azimedia anua. Um, interestingly enough, um, Together with ivermectin, it received the Nobel Prize in 2015, so five years before COVID. The two probably most effective uh, drugs uh, regarding the uh, profile of side effects and the safe uh, uh, application, ivermectin was super. Um, it's not just that in the past six months uh, that it was good for BA4 or BA5 but for Delta and in earlier days. But the two most effective drugs for panel doctors was artis artisanate, um, an injectable drug, which uh, within two hours does away with COVID. Uh, no chills, uh, no respiratory distress, all of the problems, one injection, 100 uh, milligram, and the patients could be sent home. We knew immediately that uh, it will all over in two hours. This drug was taken away from us back in 2018 in the US. 
And the FDA visited me in my practice, Klinghardt, if you actually administer it once again, then we will actually uh, 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 file illegal action. And I uh, only know of Artemisia in combination with hydroxychloroquine against malaria. No, we also had fantastic successes in uh, treating uh, cancer, cancer therapy. These two drugs, active agents, uh, Artemisia annua and artesanate is really the injectable uh, form of Artemisia. So a drug receiving the, the novel prize that this is actually prohibited for use, uh, well, uh, that has something to it. Yeah, in Germany. In, in Germany, uh, uh, there was a company uh, that distributed it. Um, plant-based and they had a, a search as well and I think it was also banned and two years ago even before COVID half a year before we received the letter that uh, we were no longer allowed to sell Artemisia annua you can plant it in, in a plant pot in the kitchen Hildegard uh, von Bingen a thousand years ago wrote a whole book about it and uh, that this was actually prohibited. Um, the use was, was, was prohibited in Germany. Incredible. This was before COVID started. So we were taking away the, the tools to treat COVID. This is exciting, isn't it? And then instead, um, they included remdesivir in the um, treatment protocol. And that, although, as Professor uh, Artis, um, told us, uh, although uh, Fauci knew that it was removed from two studies because it was the most lethal uh, treatment. What we uh, saw and heard here, the uh, kidney insufficiencies caused. Well, my impression is really that uh, they try to uh, do the whole theater, the COVID theater here, to frighten us. And of course you need people who die, so people need to die. And uh, part of it, I um, was wondering why um, using such extremely high doses of hydrochloroquine in the studies where you know that they will create side effects, or why use remdesivir, even though people knew that uh, a lot of people would die and that there's a lot of adverse effects with it. I think they allowed these things, maybe even recommending them until it became uh, too apparent in order to generate um, the people um, that um, can be showcased to, to, to demonstrate how dangerous this disease is. Of course, this is uh, also the trick to actually assign it to the, the, the vaccination deaths. Yes, of course, we discussed it earlier. The definition if the jab was given 10 days ago, you're still unvaccinated, considered unvaccinated. Only 14 days on, you're considered to be vaccinated. And then they always talk of the pandem um, pandemic of the unvaccinated. That is it's such an obvious fraud. There's no other way of uh, calling it. I'm a lawyer. I'm wondering all of the time why we're turning in circles like a dervish because we know what's going on we have all of the evidence in our hand we just have to use it in front of a court and slowly but surely it's working out at least in the us in germany this won't be possible for quite a while yeah in the, the us 
Uh, there's Utah, the governor in Florida, where individuals really had the courage to oppose this wave, but it's really like a mass hypnosis that we saw there. And for us scientists, it's really unbelievable uh, what happened here, and that we um, uh, should have seen the various ways of uh, making us shut up, of um, um, making us wonder, will I risk my livelihood by speaking out, or will I simply shut up and go along? So uh, we found ways uh, for our patients to get around the vaccinations. We have to speak about the vaccination again. The vaccination, the messenger RNA vaccination is the worst thing, uh, uh, the worst filth that happens um, since the uh, in invention of vaccines, and that it should have been possible, and that it's still um, going on today. In practice, we see that people either have no adverse effects or a lot of uh, people um, have um, some adverse effects and that uh, a lot of people can only have their adverse effects after two or three years um, so that it really embeds in people's uh, systems. We have increasing numbers of people with uh, liver problems. Uh, the loss of short-term memory is uh, inexplicable that we can see with COVID itself, but after the vaccination with COVID, uh, you have this effect. It uh, reaches a certain level, um, and we can treat that with polyphenols and natural treatments where we can get the uh, memory back within three or four months. Everything is uh, fine again. With the uh, vaccinated, this memory loss comes gradually, it gets worse and worse over time, and it's much harder to treat than the memory loss that we had with COVID. And fatigue, chronic fatigue, this strange mix of um, uh, damage to the adrenal glands, and um, uh, thyroid glands, and um, we, we can treat it, uh, but it uh, uh, rapidly uh, develops into uh, immune damage where uh, their immune system attacks their own um, adrenoids glands. Um, that progresses like as if the virus or the, the vaccine basically injects a, a modified virus that it is actually designed for gradual, almost invisible uh, destruction of the system. And all these autoimmune um, diseases we can see, hair loss with women, um, 
nobody uh, mentions it, imp uh, impotence with men, uh, nobody speaks about it because we men uh, don't like to talk about it. All the things that are taken from us, what is potence, uh, potency for men, uh, are hairs and shoes for women, and to attack those things or eye damage. We can see that a lot with um, vaccinated people, macular de degeneration, uh, glaucoma, uh, the cataract, sorry. We see a lot of uh, subsequent uh, diseases, 10 times more than uh, we would have seen with um, unvaccinated people. And so uh, removal of uh, the vaccination, we use bioflavonoids. We have a lot of uh, actions. Ozone therapy is much underrated. It's really fantastic in uh, treating both uh, uh, adverse effects of the vaccination and uh, COVID uh, damage. Uh, Germany is leading in um, uh, CLDS. Uh, in Bolivia, it has become, nearly become a state religion where it can be used for everyone. It's uh, it's like the uh, chlorine used for disinfection of swimming pools. So uh, Germany is leading. There's an underground in Germany there. Uh, so you can uh, buy the uh, two contents for swimming pool supplies. It's great uh, treatment results uh, also for long COVID. I don't know if you're interested yes, yes, in therapies. Indeed. Um, our mRNA is uh, different from uh, the other so-called vaccine. Sherry Tenpenny told us you can remove almost anything. But um, regarding the alleged gene genetic uh, modulations, people didn't know what to do, the genetic modifications. Well, I can tell you a few things here. Um, we've been dealing with that for a long time with the gene therapies, etc. Uh, what you know already is that the messenger RNA, once it in, it's in the cell and attaches to the DNA and is included there, it is there to stay. And we know um, in the liver, um, this has been published several times, um, it also happens in uh, in the uh, germ cells uh, into the uh, testes, into um, the ovaries, into the liver, into the straight into the heart and straight into the brain. And once these uh, gene components have been incorporated, they're in there to stay. Then the therapy is no longer about neutralizing the um, vaccination uh, or to, d to kill it. But it's a question of what mechanisms does our body have in order to deactivate these. Uh, there are two uh, mechanisms. Uh, methylization is one, and acetylization is the other. Methylization, there are some substances that we can uh, feed the body. That's 
uh, SME um, or methylated uh, folic acids. Substances that can go straight into uh, the cells, um, they attach to these gene sequences and they can't be read off. And the other approach is the acetylization, um, and here the limiting factor is a lack of vitamin B5. So, with the vaccinated, we have to give high dosages of uh, vitamin B5, uh, pentothene uh, acids, you can over-methylize, uh, but we give 10, 20 milligrams of uh, uh, folic acid, um, for six months, and then we go back to one milligram after that um, that they have to take for life. And we've managed, we had the problem with herpes viruses. They do the very same thing, or herpes simplex. It uh, inserts itself into the neurons in the brain, and it's there to stay. And when you get these uh, postules, um, these blisters, um, uh, if you want to get over it, well, it comes from your own uh, nerves, and usually the body manages to overcome uh, these um, uh, symptoms. But if you're under stress, then you have this outbreak on your lips or whatever, or with herpes zoster, this the shingles, or with elderly people, when these mechanisms fail of uh, methylization or acetylization, these steps are well known. They're relatively simple, what we can do in order to support the body. And we teach our uh, patients. My patients are all unvaccinated. None of my patients is allowed to be vaccinated. But the bad thing are the husbands or the teenage sons. So the teenagers who want to move away from their parents and uh, in order to oppose the parents to get vaccinated that's all the sorts uh, of things that we can observe here and if people then uh, come um, along and say oh well i did get a vaccination and now i have hair loss or my uh, eyes are um, uh, getting faint, uh, or I'm so fatigued I can't uh, stand upright anymore, or I can't sleep anymore. Those are typical um, symptoms that people present with. And then our first step is always to say, okay, you're vaccinated. We need to fight the disease. Um, so they get atinazet or famotidine um, or whatever we have a host of other um, treatments, uh, leukosamide is fantastic. Well, let's first deactivate the virus, and then the next step that has to follow uh, suit is to deactivate these genetic sequences, and this has worked very well, and we can um, achieve a lot here, and that's often overlooked by Jen um, Penny. We know each other, we're not a big group, of people, uh, we um, know exactly who does what, and it's not so dramatic, but let me get back to what I said at the very beginning. What you all overlook is uh, the uh, 5G uh, radiation. Uh, Germany is ahead of the posse there. 
you can't overestimate the damage that is created here, how the body is disabled, uh, for instance, in uh, deactivating uh, unwanted DNA sequences, retroviruses, HIV is the most uh, famous one, but there are hundreds of others. And if we look at our DNA, then only 2% of it is used in order to encode for proteins in school. We learn that the DNA is there to uh, encode for proteins. That's only 2%. 8% of our genes are retroviruses that need to be deactivated for life. Uh, they're passed down from our parents. They're infections that um, invaded our ancestors' genome a hundred or a thousand years ago, and they need to be deactivated. So if we take a look at the vaccination now, if I want to minimize the damage, then I can say, okay, we all had that, so we add uh, one hundredth of a percent added to the eight percent. But we had this problem with our DNA anyway, that uh, we had uh, uh, that we had sequences there that if we um, actually reproduce them, we get very ill. So we have to look at this. Um, this is not just some people. All people have this. Aren't they all actually falling ill? So there must something be uh, different because with, uh, with us healthy people, um, it's perfectly natural to have retroviruses. They often serve a purpose. Uh, I'm just thinking of the... Um, for fertilization of, of the egg cell, for instance, there are so many. I mean, we would be laying eggs if we didn't have those retrovices, right? <laughs> so um, in our genetic development or in our phytogenesis, they played a very important role. And we're, we're really unaware of many of these things. What is being uh, measured by the genetic analysis is, is, is letters. But uh, when you have a thick book, one of my favorite novels uh, uh, has 1,600 pages. And then you're looking for a certain um, letters in this man without qualities. But you will never understand what the author wanted to tell you. And uh, similar, uh, the similar pictures uh, are prevalent when you talk about genetics and communication processes in cells or uh, the importance of viruses to uh, uh, confront us with environmental information. Well, I am very, very cautious regarding the conclusion. I'm, I'm skeptical about what you said, that we can quickly understand uh, with the methylization, because we were really killing everything in one go. This is one function, but it can be important at another point. And if we actually deactivated every then we can actually produce side effects again. And at times they do not emerge immediately when those processes are actually interfered with. Um, these effects my conclusions. Yeah, but I, uh, I'd say um, we know the principle 
he who heals is right. And if this works, then we can do it. What has struck me in all of the discussion over the past two years is that uh, um, uh, we as physicians uh, who treat lots of patients successfully, uh, they don't meet with a lot of interest. There's not a press representative coming saying, well, I want to see what you're doing. This is exciting to me. Chetty uh, was one such case, yeah. Uh, so people, frontliners, yeah. Yeah, I believe that a lot of observations can be made in direct uh, treatment of patients that might be very um, valuable. And the research uh, paid by the big pharmaceutical uh, corporations um, that is sponsored is only about, um, is it uh, possible to monopolize this? Can I get a patent on it? If you can't get a patent on it, then this industry uh, doesn't uh, want to, to engage. There are wonderful studies about propolis and, and COVID. The studies exist, but unfortunately not in the best uh, journals. Uh, but there are so many good, good escape routes that have developed uh, over the past two years and that are affordable, uh, that are available for low budgets as well. But I think it is uh, exciting to note that when you look at the media, at least in the U.S., or when you actually watch TV or uh, the online, only the big professors have been asked who have not seen a patient in 20 years. Um, they are asked about what to do. The practitioners, on the other hand, who are elbowing their way through their patients, um, they're never being asked. This should have been striking. Uh, people should have seen that I advised all of the senior citizens' homes in Seattle and that I was able to reduce the death rates. I got some threatening letters, but apart from that, uh, the media didn't show any interest. Well, an old age um, um, Home for the Elderly in Seattle um, became um, notorious um, many years ago in yeah. the context of SARS. And it, they said that there was a SARS outbreak. And um, when they uh, dug deeper, it was the old coronaviruses that uh, harmed people there. That was an interesting uh, uh, study that uh, looked at what uh, was what really um, provoke this. And the Drosten test back then was positive for these patients as well. And they uh, proved with the test that this uh, was uh, SARS already. It's also exciting. Um, Seedle, Seedle is basically a home tour for Mr. Gates. Well, and then Seedle, um, uh, this thing with the uh, scratches on the uh, windshields happened as well, where uh, many people thought, oh, something very bad happened here. There's radioactive radiation destroying our windshields. When they, uh, until they found that uh, it depends on how you look at this windshield, and it's uh, the same across the world, depending on the angle you look at them. So there was a, an interesting story about this. Um, um, of how the perspective um, that you look at things um, may give different results because uh, you never looked at it that way. The coronaviruses that had been around forever and a day never were observed. They weren't important. It was only influenza. Yeah, true, true. 
I have two more questions. One question uh, refers to the people where we had no dangerous uh, batches. Uh, the 90% uh, you mentioned, uh, uh, the, the ones that are not listed. But, um, um, but you would have to assume that, uh, according to your observations, that uh, when people actually experience problems after two years, that we have to assume that they contain some sort of stuff because the problems occur later only. So um, that they didn't uh, contain placebos. But the observation, your general observation, is that um, it simply manifests later. Um, there's this beautiful internet page, How Bad Is Your Batch? That's where my people, uh, those who are vaccinated, uh, take a look at uh, that, whether they're in the group um, um, that uh, fell acutely ill. But that is only about the things that happened uh, at short or in short order after the vaccination. But what you mention is that we can observe that after one to two years, symptoms start uh, creeping in uh, with all people who have been vaccinated, not only a few, but every, uh, with everybody. So the vaccination seems to include that uh, people uh, are in denial. They come in um, with a stiff hip and they say, uh, I'm doing well. I've been vaccinated and in a year and a half nothing happened. Yes, but two years ago when you came in, you didn't limp. Oh no, that's only the last six months uh, my hip um, um, went bad, but that has nothing to do with the vaccine. We get uh, this comment every day. And probably we do not know enough to make very uh, clear and detailed statements because we've only been around for two years. But. I'm always trying to see the big picture. So when I look at the total body of evidence, um, because not only you in the US have, have made the uh, observation that these symptoms already occurred in August 2019. You didn't know what it was, but later said, well, this is a match for COVID. Well, th this can only go with uh, speculation. If it was two people from a bio uh, armament lab, maybe it was only exported to China to actually do a blame game. But this is just speculation. But there are findings from Spain and Italy where the virus was found in the wastewater. So it is not all that new. Nevertheless, we know too little yet. I think at the end of the day that uh, if a treatment works with people who are really working uh, bad, uh, um, it should be provided. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't be a good alternative. On the other hand, there's so many uncertainties and unclear um, conclusions. When I look at the totality of evidence, I can see an intention. This was not by mistake. Mistakes were committed by people who were bored and who go with Oh, this may well be, but they, um, if it's if it's physicians, they must have realized that it uh, things went in a different direction. But the concept, the underlying concept, seems to me so obvious. It's eugenics, and this has actually now been converted to genocide. It's about control. That's the way you do it. Well, otherwise, maybe I'd like to say uh, what we're worried about, as well as a question. 
that uh, moved you all, was that only a dress rehearsal now? And the real thing is uh, coming down the line, um, do we get a Marburg virus, an analytical virus, which is much more dangerous, or is that the uh, end of the line for the moment, or will Corona go through different rounds and mutations? I think we don't have to be afraid. There are outbreaks of uh, dangerous viruses, yes. There are reservoirs. Uh, uh, there are zoonotic outbreaks. Uh, uh, this actually occurs time and again. But uh, one thing can be seen. We have never had a pandemic. The pandemics uh, um, have actually emerged since the people at the who actually came up with it and changed the definitions. This is completely new. There is no disease that spreads across all the world um, that people cannot go to work any longer or simply drop dead with all the, the same symptoms. There is so no such thing. There is out, there are outbreaks. There's tuberculosis, there's gonorrhea, there's syphilis, and this is uh, actually spread all over the world. And we had no exactly how this works but this is not the scenarios that are actually being projected to us there has not been such a thing we were a bit surprised now with the monkeypox virus normally you think think that if there's something novel that there's an epicenter somewhere and that it then spreads gradually well that the first time it was found in 1958 in a lab in Congo uh, where they actually did experiments with the uh, monkeys and the pox. There were other people who were in contact with these monkeys actually showed these pox. What we've seen from Belgium looked uh, uh, like herpes genitalis. Well, what I was uh, getting at was that it uh, did look like it had been sown uh, by people in different parts of the world. A virus can't spread like this, that it occurs in a little village in Australia then. But the test has only arrived now. And when you actually apply this, and you have actually, um, uh, when you have a herpes saucer and you apply the test, then you are suffering from monkeypox. There are so many blisters where the test actually gives a positive, um, and only the test makes it a disease in, in the minds of people. And this is, of course, a fantastic business model when you actually have all of the side effects, herpes, zoster, all of this is monkeypox and we have to do something about it. They're even describing the monkeypox as actually blisters that are very painful, developing in a circle around the, the body. This is the description of herpes zoster. Uh, funnily enough, monkeypox have this shape now and they're painful. How stupid must the, the colleagues be to actually sing the same song? Well, we've seen Dom in uh, action now. It's unbelievable how many physicians went along with this whole story, right? They're being rewarded for that. Let me say one more thing uh, concerning what uh, has been mentioned earlier, what you can see inside those vaccines. We had the comment by someone else that there were jellyfish-like elements uh, there as well, at which uh, Sebastian Leber of uh, Tagesspiegel said that we uh, claim that there are krakens in this uh, vaccine. Um, well, of course. That's clear. The, the short term memory is gone with them. That's clear. 
Yeah, well, probably it's been uh, injected away. Well, of course, there are no krakens there, but there are only elements that have this jellyfish-like uh, shape. Uh, just a um, um, uh, greeting to Mr. Lieber. can't do this any longer. <laughs> That's over. Well, we've taken a look at enough uh, vaccines under a microscope, and many of them look identical, and some look differently. With the same name, same vaccine, but different ingredients, there can be no doubt about it. And the question is, is that a big experiment? Uh, with an experiment, you'd think that they look a bit more closely where the various batches went in order to see what happens. For an experiment, it would make sense. Five billion people in vaccinated with different variants of the vaccine to see how well do the various groups of people do. Well, I think that this is direction in which it's going. In Germany, for instance, there are uh, efforts uh, undertaken um, uh, by universities to run studies, Marburg. We know that um, huge amounts of blood are being extracted and actually stored and and in cryo containers. This is uh, test results that are being collected here. They really want to have this data. And uh, if there's more digitalization, then you will have these results without actually major efforts. If you Look at the euphoria uh, starting um, since the end of the last century, since around the year 2000 with a view to the RNA technology. And I looked at Mr. Zain's uh, work, um, the head of BioNTech, who is particularly prominent here and who has achieved uh, huge economic success with his uh, um, um, campaigning. Uh, this immunization with mRNA was only one part. He wants to modify people. He wants to fight cancer. He wants to modify stem cells. He wants to do a lot of things, but he also writes the lot of detail that needs to be uh, dealt with uh, before this. And it's genetic therapy. Uh, the head of Bayer uh, said in Berlin that in the past we would never have been able to impose this. Nobody would have been go uh, going along with this, this genetic therapy. And now we can do it all. And he was quite euphoric. And this is reflected in the um, stock prices. A lot of money is made with these insufficiently uh, researched options for genetic modification of human bodies and human cells. So when we get these vaccines, we are genetically modified organisms. And what that means, nobody can say. There are very few uh, things that we can uh, predict, but uh, what's the overall result, we don't know. And when I hear that they're already uh, thinking of merging people with machines uh, to improve uh, people, modify and improve people. I'm just uh, thinking of Homo Deus, this fantasies that are floating around there. All of this has a financial impact. For those people who do this, that they 
they invest a lot of money there until the disillusionment comes the big uh, damage comes the um, stock prices go up and then they fall and by then they've long since sold them off there's so much fraud uh, for us um, uh, looking at Chen's humanism it looks as if uh, the first big experiment went wrong it went completely awry um, somebody said uh, it can't work because it was proven back in the 70s. We don't know how the memory works. We don't know what happens with our consciousness. This is why we're talking about artificial intelligence, because it's not no genuine intelligence. And the question arises, of course, from uh, what they learn from this now. Will that lead to uh, further developments in this direction. We, we, they won't stop. We will have to do that. And this is why it is all the more important that uh, we do not actually get sidetracked and discuss whether this is still in line with our constitution, but that instead we discuss about the real things. It's about death, life and death. Um, this, is, this has to be clearly said. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and for us as um, family doctors or doctors uh, on the front line, the first um, need was to um, prevent deaths. And now we're dealing with uh, fighting long-term effects. Um, I love uh, people's brain and we can see the um, collapse of capacities, um, sleep or fatigue or um, memory, and we think about a lot about what we can do to repair the you damage. You said this in the beginning, that the short-term memory is uh, massively affected by the uh, injection. Uh, my favorite restaurant, this is what struck me, all of the waiters are vaccinated and uh, both male and female, they come three times to my table and ask what you ordered. <laughs> Mysterious. I no longer I no, no longer go there. It takes uh, too long. If I have to tell them ten times what I've ordered, <laughs> it takes me too long. Well, maybe they get a, a chip implanted behind the ear that can store it. I just received a message from somebody from the basis. The Max Planck Institute does official research on COVID and Artemisia. And this attack on the company that sold it or others that are no longer allowed to do it um, uh, uh, seems to be an attempt to actually restrict our access to such uh, remedies. Uh, or that they will actually try to sell it to us for a huge amount of money or um, with some additional or additives that make it less efficient. This is really fascinating. So it's commercial interest. I think everything, uh, you can profit uh, from so many things if you play this game properly, this diabolic game. The um, technology of using um, natural uh, treatments to describe them chemically and patent them. That was a topic that created a lot of um, anger in uh, India um, that um, a, a certain tree that is traditionally used um, as a, um, a treatment, natural treatment, the neem tree, um, Suddenly, a pharmaceutical company had a patent on it and people couldn't use it anymore. The same goes uh, for 
molecular structures that are found um, here or there, they're immediately described, patented, and a potential use is patented. You just said uh, that there's a complete denial starting among the vaccinated uh, persons, and you described it using an example. We hear this uh, from more and more physicians that uh, the vaccines seem to change personality. Is this true? Absolutely. We see it on a daily basis that people who are vaccinated, even those who were critical uh, of the vaccination, and then were more or less obliged or coerced to have it, say, three months later, maybe, oh, well, the vaccination isn't all that bad. It's a good thing, really. So even if people suffer from symptoms since the vaccination, even if they are poorly since the vaccination, there's this shift to a, a positive attitude vis-a-vis the vaccination. It's uh, crazy, like a psychosis nearly that uh, is injected into people. And we have um, a um, high uh, employee of uh, Pfizer um, who told me uh, proudly, well, it's embedded in the uh, vaccine, the, this uh, modification of the personality. But does it go beyond the denial uh, about any mistakes I made? Uh, how is it expressed? Some even say that they observe that people are far more aggressive in general. Or uh, uh, or do they feel, well, is, is there a bliss hormone embedded? No, I can't tell you any more about it. Um, so that these mRNA uh, vaccines have a few uh, specific character characteristics that attach to the brain, to the limbic system. So it's no coincidence. Uh, we can observe this uh, as a, clinic, a clinician. I can tell you we observe this consistently. As I said, most of my patients are unvaccinated. Uh, we. Uh, uh, fought uh, to make sure that people who um, um, didn't want to get vaccinated uh, didn't lose their jobs, but some uh, military personnel, for instance, they couldn't get around it. And um, some of my colleagues also described that there's this modification of personality. Uh, people who were critical of the government, uh, of Big Pharma, or uh, were critical of Corona, looking at who started this and who's behind this all, that they suddenly lose this approach, that uh, this critical reflective part of their personality is completely lost, and suddenly they're uh, positive, everything's fine, the world is uh, great, so um, happy-go-lucky, and we can't deny this. And those who suffer from COVID naturally do not have this uh, modification. That's It's quite obvious that there is this big difference. And that is why we're fighting the fight that we're fighting. And that's why it's become so much harder because a large part of the vaccinated population has been drawn to this side, uh, this positive, with this positive opinion. I'm being admonished. I'm in a hotel in England, and the room that I rented here, 
I have to leave it now. No, that's fine. That's fine, Dietrich. We heard a lot from you. We heard uh, a lot. Uh, this is definitely not the end of the story. We will actually continue this uh, discussion, especially because the conditions, the circumstances are indeed different in the US. And I agree with Judy 100% here. I still feel that with an intact immunological system, uh, although the virus was we can handle it, but we cannot handle the vaccination. And um, uh, it does not uh, seem to actually destroy our immune system, but it also actually changes our personality. It's a violation of our personality. Well, thank you very much, Rainer, for your work. I've been monitoring since uh, the beginning what you've taken on. Um, we do it as a team, and this is why it is so important that we are all connected with you as well. If there is somebody out there on, on his or her own, it's dangerous, unacceptable. I can't get that many Winchesters out of my cabinet. Our good friend Karl Marx said, you can break a finger but not a fist. Very good. Okay, see you. Bye. Bye. Take care. So let's see if we have the next She's guest there. in online. Yeah, now we're going to switch to English. We have um, Karen Kingston with us. She's a biotech analyst and a med legal advisor with over 20 years of experience driving blockbuster communication uh, commercialization efforts for medical devices and prescription therapies. She's the owner um, of Veritage Strategies. That's a company that's been around since uh, 2014. And she was once a, a cardiovascular sales representative for the Northeast region um, uh, at Pfizer. Northeast region of New York at Pfizer. Mm -hmm. Karen, can you hear hi. us? Oh, yeah. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Okay, yeah. There you are. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So, so uh, thank you. you're, you're going to tell us about uh, an infants and toddler study by Pfizer. And oh. you're, is that correct? Carmen said to start with the BLA and the FDA. Okay, fine. That's fine. Contract. That's okay. fine. Yeah. yeah. And just to clarify what, um, so people think marketing is just fun and creative and, um, but part of it is you have to go through med legal meetings and it's literally, you have two titans you've got, and they're, they're lawyers like you guys and scientists and doctors. Uh, and, and then you've got the team of the same group of people. Usually the lawyers aren't, aren't on the sales team, but then you got like some of the marketers that are on the sales team and they both want to make claims but you can only make claims on based on what's filed with the FDA mm -hmm. and what the laws are. So my job was to have people look at the documents and we would have very heated debates over the documents um, and then come to a conclusion about facts and truth. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, we're just going to go through documents that are with the FDA uh, from Pfizer and the contracts. And I hope it brings some enlightenment to some of the confusion that's that's happening. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yes, okay. we, we do okay, need great. some enlightenment. Uh, there's too much confusion out there. Out there. Yeah, yeah. So I always would say when we'd have debates, I'm like, can can you 
please just turn to tab seven, paragraph two, page three, and read what that says. So that's what we're going to do today. And um, I know there's different different opinions, and you know we can have private meetings as well to debate this, um, you know, privately um, after I go through this. So mm -hmm. let me know when you can share my screen okay. or see my screen. <laughs> yeah, we can see it. Okay, let's get started. So what um, what I'm first going to address is the uh, um, Oops, excuse me. Können wir das auch auf den großen Schirm bekommen? It's, oh, there we go. What I first am going to address is the BLA, the Biological License Application, which is the FDA application process for an initial new drug application that was filed on August, uh, actually it was filed in May uh, of, of 2021 and approved on August 23rd of, May, of 2021. It's very important. This was approved by the FDA. They issued NDC codes, they recalled those NDC codes and issued new NDC codes and manufactured the product in the, in the United States. Why is this so important? It is so important because if you follow the initial new drug, if you want an emergency use authorization product, it must go through the IND process, initial new drug application process and NDA process. EUA experiments have their own immunity and it's really crimes against humanity. We've talked about that. But if you're going to use a product for more than six months, you must go through the IND NDA process. And once you do that, you do not have immunity under the EUA for the indication that you got approval for. And you don't have immunity to any of those participants mm -hmm. in any of the trials that were in the IND, including the babies and toddlers that just went through. Mm -hmm. So there is precedent in the United States to bring lawsuits for the disease, death, and um, disabilities that were brought on, not just the people who participated in the phase one and two, three trials, but also all the false marketing and claims that have been done by Pfizer and the people they've been paying, including the mainstream media and the advertisements. Karen, That's another just, just one quick question. I know we've talked about this before, but what we're talking about health issues and medical trials. What does the Department of Defense have to do with this? So what the Department of Defense has to do with this is this is the contract that Pfizer has with the Department of Defense. And I want you to just see in the DOD contract, what do they do? They designate Pfizer as um, the uh, as basically the IRB, the Independent Review Board. So that's mm -hmm. what this is up here. Uh, and if BioNTech will work with Pfizer as the IRB. Mm -hmm. Later on, they also designate them as a covered person. And then BioNTech is actually designated as the regulatory sponsor. So they are the applicant in the United States for the FDA approval. And I'm going to show you this on the FDA approval. They are also um, designated as the manufacturer and the authorized agent in the United States. How, now, can, this you be, how can you be the manufacturer and the independent review board? It's grossly unethical and illegal. <laughs> you could do that under an emergency use authorization, but you cannot do that under an IND. Mm -hmm. Do not let Pfizer fool you. Mm -hmm. We must stick to the truth. They went through an initial dr drug application. They can't say that they didn't because on August 23rd, it was approved by the FDA. This mm -hmm. is the letter, and I just sent um, um, Corbin the, the actual full documents because they took this letter down. So I sent you the original documents, so you mm -hmm. have those. Mm -hmm. So this is the uh, letter of approval from the FDA on August 23rd, and it just says, um, we are issuing Department of Health and Human Services license number 329 to the BioNTech manufacturing in Germany. I'm gonna show you that this is also manufactured in the United States. 
This was signed by um, Marion Gruber and Mary Malarkey. Can you believe her last name is Malarkey? So this was signed. <laughs> Those two both resigned the same day. This is the application that was originally submitted on May 18. This is the PDUFA date, the Pfizer Drug User Fee Act. They paid about $3 million to have the FDA approve it on January 16, 2022. I showed you other documents. The original timeline was for 2025 because that's the actual timeline for an actual vaccine to go through an accelerated review process. There's mm -hmm. no way in heck it should have been done by January 16, 2022. What happened on August 8th, Dr. Fauci said, once we get FDA approval, mandates will be inevitable. So they moved up the date to August 23rd. So what's the confusion? The confusion is, um, oh, I skipped the slide, that they sent out a Dear HCP letter that said, we these lots that are Comirnaty, um, are the emergency use authorization, but they're BLA compliant. Mm -hmm. So those are the lots um, here. I have to look at my, cause I can't see it on my screen. So what you can see is there's various lots. There's a link there on the on at the bottom that you guys can go to and you yeah. can pull these lots for yourself. And what you can see is there are the, the lot numbers, um, uh, six, nine, 1000. And then there's Oh, sorry, it's 691003. There's one that's 691002, and then the one at the bottom. So those were all issued on August 23rd, and then they were redacted on August 23rd because they had already finished the manufacturing of these because this was products that were released under the EUA. Mm -hmm. So they were not going to manufacture any more EUA product once they got FDA approval, allegedly, right? That's what they're supposed to do. But they only got can, FDA approval for the uh, for the quote unquote vaccine that was not uh, on the market in the U.S. Right? Well, according to no, we're going to show you the HCP. Okay. I, I don't have the letter. What they said was on August twenty third when they got approval, Pfizer broke the law again. They said, "Look, what you've been using as the experimental product." there are six or eight lots that are compliant with the FDA approval. Legally, they're separate products. I'm gonna show this to you in, in more detail. Legally, they're separate products and actually manufacturing wise are separate products. But then what you can see here on the list of codes is that they issued new NDC codes on December 22nd, 2021. And I'm gonna show you that those were manufactured in the US as well as uh -huh. uh, in Belgium. Okay. So this is so this is what we were just talking about. What you can see here is the letter, um, or it, this is in the BLA. I don't have the letter. I can tell you Edward Zoll, who works with Stu Peters, did a full episode on this where he had the letter and he talks about a lawsuit that was moving forward in the United States where they used the letter. I also pulled the Comirnaty lots that were listed in that letter and found over 41 deaths. I didn't pull it. Uh, my data analyst pulled it, and I'm happy to put you in touch with him. Mm -hmm. So we had over 41 deaths and, and I think about 600 serious adverse events with those Comirnaty lots as of December of last year. Um, wow. And I, I, that's not in this presentation, but I will get you that information and I will also get you the data analyst. Uh, he needs to be kept confidential because uh, he has he, he's in the industry and he's got backdoor access to mm -hmm. this, this database. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, this says right here. Now, this is in the, the the BLA application, which is an application for manufacturing and interstate commerce. That's what an FDA approval letter is. And it says right here under 10A, identification of BLA lots, it says to address the issue of these lots not bearing the vial label associated with the FDA approval, BLA approval, 
CBER, which is part of the FDA, worked with the applicant, so that's BioNTech and Pfizer, to develop a Dear Healthcare Provider letter to be included with lots considered by CBR to be BLA compliant. So they sent a letter out to healthcare providers in the United States um, with, with the lot numbers or with a website to go to to get the lot numbers. So when they did that, they engaged in interstate commerce and marketing. So they broke the law under initial new drug application and approval because this is false and misleading labeling and all kinds of things. Is that, okay, do you guys have any questions so far? You say that again so that people understand it. It's it's oh, it's it's a lot of information talking. in just a couple of sentences. Let's do it. I let's know. do it in slow motion. Sorry, I I they call me a hummingbird on speed. Um, so what this means is that on August twenty third, when the FDA approved Comirnaty, they worked with Pfizer and BioNTech to send out a Dear Healthcare Provider letter mm -hmm. throughout the United States to say that. There are these six or eight lots that we issued under the emergency use authorization. They said these lots are compliant with the FDA approved formulation Comirnaty. What so that, that did was that at the that others moment, are they, not, so that the others are not. So, so are these? Uh, uh, so, so they do two points. One that says these six or eight lots are Comirnaty, meaning. A bunch of other lots are not the Comirnaty formulation. There's yes. some other formulation. Those formulations are listed in the IND under clinicaltrials.gov. I can send you those 12 formulations. One of them was placebo. So I, this is truly Russian roulette. Some mm -hmm. people did get placebo and, and stopped getting injected. Mm -hmm. It also means because they sent out this letter, they engaged in interstate commerce. Mm -hmm. They engage in distributing the product through through multiple states. That's what a BLA is. That's what it is. And they also engaged in marketing. And so they violated all of the laws under the Food and Drug Consumer Protection Act that are in place to safely bring a product to market, including false and misleading labeling. So uh, this, just, just, um, so Fauci pushed them to approve it. If this wasn't supposed to be approved till 2025, by that time, this country would have been annihilated. And when he approved it, he broke the shield. Mm -hmm. I just hear from the interpreters that uh, they ask you to speak a little bit slower because otherwise okay. it's, it's very tough for them to translate you into uh, you know, the correct uh, German. I apologize. Thank you. I will. Um, so I mean, that that uh, contract, which your first slide showed, or the first page of the contract, uh, is that the other transaction authority agreement between the DOD and Pfizer? Yes, that's the DOD-Pfizer mm -hmm. agreement. I just wanted to show you that in the DOD-Pfizer agreement, they designated Pfizer as the independent review board. <laughs> they designated Comirnaty as the manufacturer and marketer even though, and, and then I just wanted to show you on the BLA, that's why BioNTech is listed. Yeah. Although Pfizer has been the manufacturer marketer, mm -hmm. you know, and the IRB. I mean, it's criminal. They're, mm -hmm. they're, so it's very, I just want to be very clear. Everything Pfizer tells you is a lie. Mm -hmm. They're blatantly lying. So don't be fooled by their lies. They want you to believe the product was never approved and manufactured. I have evidence. Don't fall for those lies. Because if you believe it was never approved and manufactured, they believe they still have immunity under the EUA. So what did the NIH do in September of 2021? They, they issued the BLA lot numbers that are associated with the EUA product on August 23rd. Then they did a press release with the NIH saying at present, 
Pfizer does not plan to produce any product with these new NDC labels over the next few months while the EUA authorized product is still being available in the US. So this was done in September. But what did they do in December? This is the link to the database. You, you click on this zip file, okay? It's updated as soon as 331. I'm not gonna up click on the zip file and go to the link because this file is uh, 17 megabytes. So it takes a long time to download. But once you download this file, so remember Pfizer said, we're not gonna produce this in, mm -hmm. as long as there's an EUA in place. That's a lie. Here you can see Comirnaty, these are the lot numbers, 692025, this one, this one. They were produced and available beginning December 22nd, 2021. Whether or not they distributed them in interstate commerce, I do not know, but they were manufactured and labeled with these NDC codes. Further evidence of that is if you go to the NIH website, Daily Med. Explain, again, speak, why they, explain again why they shouldn't have done that. Because... Once they have FDA approval and they manufacture FDA approved product, that proves that they have a product that went through the initial new drug application process, which must adhere to the Food and Drug Consumer Protection Act and all of the codes to bring okay. a product safely to market. Mm -hmm. It is not shielded under the EUA. Mm -hmm. There's separate laws. This is the one loophole that they broke because Fauci pushed the approval. They were not supposed to approve this until 2025. That's the original plan. I'm going yeah. to show you that document as well. Okay. Why do you think they why do you think they did that? I because mean Because they're they're foolish and greedy. Uh-huh. And I they, they were getting away with so many lies, mm -hmm. and we still have people out there lying saying the FDA approval never happened. <laughs> okay. There's but, people but on why our is side it making these statements that are not true. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and I assume it's not intentional, but they thought they'd get away with it, Reiner. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's more attractive to, for them to be under this... Uh, no, it's this not, because they're not shielded. But they didn't think they, they thought they'd get a, a, away with it. Be I mean... Because they so weren't planning on me. Agree. I, you know, the thing is, why do you not keep on producing under the EUA shield uh, when you have that special protection? I don't get that. It doesn't really make any sense. Because Biden never issued uh, 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 orders. So only the president can issue an order to have the military injected for an experimental product. Mm -hmm. This was probably manufactured for our military to wipe them out. Huh. Yeah. So all the military generals and General Milley and Lloyd Austin, I got to keep my anger under control. <laughs> they gave unlawful orders to make our military be injected with experimental agents. Mm -hmm. Anyone that's left, they now have Comirnaty to, to give to them. And this is a more dangerous version. This is the most dangerous version of the experimental products that were on the market. And I'll explain that to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so further evidence. If you go to the NIH Daily Med website, updated May 18th, here you can see the NDC codes for the available drug, Comirnaty, and look, it matches. I just cut and paste from that, that Excel sheet. It matches all, all the lots. I just posted one, but you guys get the picture, right? This is from the, 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 this is from the, the manufactured product that was made available on 1222. 
as of May 18th on the Daily Med website, they're saying this product is available in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So the argument is that this product doesn't contain tris or sucrose. That is a lie. This is the information available on the NIH website. As you can see, it contains sucrose. And tromethamine is tris. Tromethamine hydro hydrochloride is tram. So it does include tris and sucrose. Don't believe the lies. If someone is telling you, well, this product doesn't contain uh, tris and sucrose, so it's not comirnaty, that's a lie. It also has a gray cap. So you can also see on the NIH website, here are the manufacturers. So here, Pfizer Belgium is, is designated as a manufacturer. Wyeth Pharma, which Pfizer acquired in 2009, 2010, is a manufacturer. Um, so if we go into the next slide, I just highlighted Pfizer Ireland is, a manu is, is doing the analysis. So they're doing the um, consumer good manufacturing process quality control. BioNTech uh, is also doing analysis. BioNTech is also doing manufacturing. Hmm. BioNTech <laughs> is also doing manufacturing in Marburg. But you can see they're doing US manufacturing. If you still don't believe me, uh, you can go to the website where you can get the package insert. Um, and this is archives. So I've got to get the most recent one. But if you go to the package insert website, and the URL should be on here, and you click on description, that's where you'll find the formulation. So under description, um, at this, in the second paragraph, what you will find, because um, I can't read my own screen, is each uh, 0.3 milliliter dose of Comirnaty supplied in multiple dose vials with the gray caps and labels with gray borders also includes the following ingredients. The lipid nanoparticles, uh, 0.05 milligrams of, um, that is the ACL0135 and the other one, uh, cholesterol, tromethamine, that's TRIS, tromethamine hydro hydrochloride, that's TRAM, and 31 milligrams of sucrose. So it does contain sucrose and tris. Mm -hmm. This is the package insert. Uh, it's important to note the mechanism of action does not match the mechanism of action of a vaccine. Uh, and it's important to note that uh, the non-clinical toxicology has not been evaluated for uh, can causing cancer, uh, causing genetic mutations, or impairment of male fertility. Uh, and the rat study was the wrong study. So this uh, violates uh, Section 312.4 of the FDA Consumer Drug and, um, Protection Act, or, um, Act because you cannot inject a population that can cause harm to, children, to, to men and women of childbearing age that may affect their fertility or cause genetic mutations. It's a major violation. Anyway, let's keep going. Just to prove that Pfizer and BioNTech have a, a, a double manufacturing agreement this is from the December 2020 BioNTech investor presentation. So they say right here, meaning BioNTech, they have six manufacturing sites in Pfizer and the BioNTech Alliance so far. Uh, and they show that it's, you know, Pfizer's manufacturing in Kalamazoo, Missouri, Michigan. Massachusetts. Yeah. And then you can see the other three there. So it is being manufactured in the US. So it's just more evidence. Okay. So let's go through why Comirnaty is different from the EUA product. One reason is it says here, so keep in mind, Comirnaty is the RM, mRNAs, the SARS, so this, it has the SARS-CoV-2 program to produce the spike protein from the Wuhan Institute of Virology spike protein. It also says the antigen coding RNA is codon optimized. 
and contains two proline mutations, which ensures an optimized trimeric prefusion. So in, in addition to producing the Wuhan Institute of Virology spike protein from the mRNA, it has a further optimized, which is another word for weaponized, S2P spike protein. It's important to note that this product, Comirnaty, is designed for mediating RNA stability and translation efficiency. Why is that important? Well, they call it a vaccine. But if you take a look at the FDA document, called Design and Analysis for Viral-Based Gene Therapy and Oncolytic Products. Oncolytic means cancer. These are typically used to treat cancer and rare immune-mediated disease. It says here, gene therapy products are all products that mediate their effects by translation or transfer genetic material. How does Comirnaty work? I just showed you. It does it through viral translation. It does not have to in integrate into the host genome. We know that this one does. And it's administered, so through the mRNA, through translation, produces nucleic acids, viruses, or genetically engineered microorganisms. What is a nucleic acid? That is the spike protein. By definition, this is a gene therapy. There's also a 2006 document. They've taken it down. I have the original copy. I will send that to you as well, Reiner. Mm -hmm. that clearly defines this as a gene therapy. And what's most important about these gene therapies is they all have a very high risk for shedding. Meaning once you inject someone with a viral gene therapy and they produce that virus and the spike proteins in their bodies, they're very likely to infect other people. And you must do quarantine strategies in animals first. And then you have to do quarantine strategies in humans. You must not inject in people of childbearing age unless they're going to die. And they skipped all those strategies. And now we have half the global population injected with no quarantine strategies. But do not fear, because the virus itself actually was a very weak virus. This S2 spike protein was injected independently, uh, and it's a, it's a more deadly virus. So um, this is why everyone's gotten COVID at this point, because we were injected with it. Now, here's the thing. This is a gene therapy that produces a spike protein. In February of 2014, the FDA put out a product, a, a presentation. Spike proteins produce antibodies. Antibodies can attack self. That's called immunogenicity. The immunogenicity of therapeutic proteins, which is what Comirnaty is and Moderna and J&J. The immunogenicity of therapeutic proteins, what you don't know can hurt you and the patient. I've, I'll send you this, the links are all here. Mm -hmm. It's very important to note this quote that I also pulled from a press release. Um, I believe it was from 2015 from the FDA. These are not my words. This is an FDA scientist. A major problem with protein-based therapeutics, and what do these vaccines do? They produce spike proteins, is their immunogenicity. That is their tendency to trigger an unwanted immune response against themselves. Such antibodies can cause complications that can be life-threatening. The virus... If you don't believe me, this is BioNTech's mission statement from December of 2020 or 2019. Harnessing the immune system's full potential to fight human disease. Using the immune system to kill the disease of humans. Again, BioNTech was thrilled 
that they actually got the category as a vaccine. These are mRNA vaccines don't exist. These are CAR T cell therapies that have now put into a new mRNA platform, mm. which is chimeric mm. antigen receptor T cell therapies. They are intended to make genetic changes to the body, to the genome, to the cells. So this is also, oh, I guess, no, this is from 2020. They were thrilled, as you, and as you know, Moderna confessed, like, we're never going to get approval. These, mm. these are mRNA products. They're very deadly. They were thrilled. mRNA vaccines established as a new drug class, Comirnaty. Accelerated learning path for COVID vaccine leads to diversification and maturation of the mRNA technology. Not only are they going to put it in our flu shots, they're going to inject us with gene editing technology so that we're not at risk for getting cancer. I didn't know cancer was contagious, but propaganda <laughs> and lies are. Yeah. Yeah, you mean that is their that is their entry door to be able to use mRNA uh, technique in all vaccines now. In not only all vaccines, for every disease. Oh. It's easy, every it's easy disease. to produce. Yes. And keep in mind if and I don't have this with me, EcoHealth Alliance, if you want to inoculate or vaccinate someone, they tested it out on bats. They mm -hmm. couldn't inject the bats, so they had to use an aerosol application using the lipid nanoparticles. They had to use something <coughs> the bats would eat or something the bats would put on their skin. So we in the future can be inoculated or vaccinated without our consent, you know, and not by our own volition. This must stop. The NIH must, must be set down and must be shut down because they funded all of this, as did many other organizations. So going back to, this is the approval. The applicant was uh, BioNTech Manufacturing in partnership with Pfizer. Don't tell me, you, this is not clear that Pfizer and BioNTech are working together as manufacturer and marketers. Mm -hmm. Anyone that's telling you that is telling you a false statement. What's very important is in the BLA, there is, um, this is I believe page 14, there is a very big but statement when they explain the difference between BNT162B, which is the EUA, AUA product, and the experimental product that was used allegedly in the initial new drug application processes in Comirnaty. Mm -hmm. So it says here, Comirnaty uh, and a similar vaccine, not the same vaccine, Comirnaty and a similar vaccine termed BNT162B, Comirnaty and BNT162B have identical amino acid sequences of the encoded antigens, meaning they both have the mRNA from the SARS-CoV-2 virus that produces the WIV spike protein. But, and this is a huge but, Comirnaty includes the presence of optimized codons to improve antigen expression. Mm -hmm. What are those optimized codons? Those optimized codons are the S2P spike protein with the optimized trimeric prefusion confirmation. What is that? Scientists in Philadelphia put out this study. They took 38 samples from people that had mild to moderate COVID in early 2020 from Europe and those that had severe. They could not find the mRNA SARS-CoV-2 sequence in those that had severe COVID. So they started looking for toxins. They said these people looked like they were poisoned. This is the S trimer spike protein. What they found, and again, I'm not saying this is most definitely in the S2P spike protein, but there were multiple bioweapons unleashed on the global population. 
What the scientists in Philadelphia found is they found venom from cobras, the crate snake, synthetically recreated, the rabies virus, they found a very aggressive gram-positive bacteria called staphylococcal enterocin B, and they found the HIV glycoprotein in the spike protein, the trimeric protein. This is the abstract for the patent for the spike protein. And it says coronavirus S ectodomain trimers stabilized in a pre-fusion confirmation, a pre-fusion state. Mm -hmm. This is from this patent. This patent is filed by Jason McClellan from Moderna and Barney Graham from the NIAID. I have many more documentations with their names on it as well, showing them that they did this research going back to 2016, weaponizing the spike protein. The spike protein produced by the SARS-CoV-2 virus is the WIV spike protein. Just like SARS-CoV-2, it's very unstable. Sunlight kills it, 80 degree weather kills it. It folds on itself and disintegrates. They needed the lipid nanoparticles mm. to not just deliver the mRNA, they also needed it to deliver the spike protein, mm. the weaponized, stabilized spike protein. Mm. Furthermore, aerosol transmission and airborne transmission mean something different. The lipid nanoparticles allow for aerosol transmission. There's an early study that came out in 2020 saying that the, the mRNA could travel, the SARS-CoV-2 virus could travel up to 60 feet in the air. That is a lie. It cannot, not, not through natural airborne transmission. Aerosol means it's, being, um, it's coming from a propulsion. It's being sprayed out. And because it's in a LNP, its own biosphere, that's why it can travel 60 feet. Because the global population may be have been exposed to aerosol weapon attacks of lipid nanoparticle encapsulated chimeric gain of function weaponized viruses. These, look at these trimeric shapes. These are the different 2SP spike proteins that can be in some of these inoculations separate from the SARS-CoV-2 or the mRNA sequence. These can be put in independently. This one causes a severe um, uh, gastroenteritis, uh, enteritis, diarrhea, et cetera. It's uh, porcine endemic diarrhea virus. That's what it stands for. Here's the WIV S2P. What they did was they took the SARS-CoV-2 virus, they infected cells outside the body, they produced the WIV spike protein, and then they added the 20 amino acids, the two prolines, which are the synthetically recreated bioweapons from venom and rabies. That's what this is. And then here you can see the SARS- 2SP, and these are different ones. This is the original monster, the HQ, HQ1 S2P. Uh, so this was originally created in 2016. So why did they need to do this? And, and Reiner, I think you'll appreciate this. This is uh, from EcoHealth Alliance. This was published actually in March of 20, um, oh sorry, January of 2016. Uh, you can see uh, some of the usual suspects on here. Ralph Barrick is on here. Um, Where's that guy from EcoHealth Alliance? He's on here too. I thought he was on here. Oh, well, anyway, you can see Ralph Barrick's name on yeah. here. And this, this was um, what it says right here, uh, very uh, simply, is focusing on the severe acute respiratory SARS-like viruses, the results indicate that the WIV1 coronavirus cluster so they've created the SARS-CoV-2 virus. They can produce it from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They named it after Wuhan. It has, these, these viruses have the ability, and the SARS-CoV-2 are specifically talking about, has the ability to directly infect 
and may undergo limited transmission in human populations. However, in the body, weakening, attenuation, it weakens so much in the body that this suggests additional adaptation is required for an epidemic disease. What? It needed further weaponization. Where, where is this from? Uh, the link is right here. It's available on pns.org, so you can look it up. This is originally, this document, in full disclosure, was originally provided by Project Veritas, who had a whistleblower that worked with the Department of Defense, and it was one of the attachments. Um, I like to go to the original source documents, so I looked it up on um, the peer-reviewed uh, publication, pns.org. That's where I got it from. But it's also in the Veritas data documents. Again, if you go to PubMed on the NIH website, early indication, so this was published December 8th, 2020. Um, what this was is they, they had uh, 200 and, uh, or sorry, 109 healthcare workers who were sent to Wuhan to, to treat patients. Um, and between May 20th and May 15th, they tested them with samples um, for days one and 14 after they quarantined and came back. Um, what they found, all the throat swab specimens were found negative for SARS-CoV-2. Uh, radiological analysis revealed that there was no typical chest CAT scan of COVID. So none of them had pneumonia among, uh, none of them had pneumonia among 222 healthcare workers. So consistently, um, the SARS-CoV-2 um, uh, antibodies were also not found. These are the antibodies, they were not found. So 222 people were sent to ground zero to treat patients at Wuhan, none of them got infected. That's early evidence. May 24th, 2020, again, from the NIH website. What does that mean? Absent, what does what mean? What does that mean? That means the original SARS-CoV-2 virus, per what that publication I just showed you was, that once it infects somebody, they cannot infect another person. There's no human-to-human -human transmission. How, how were the people infected? They were infected because the virus was encapsulated in a lipid nanoparticle, and it was put in something that they ate, something that was an aerosol uh -huh. application, or something that they put on their skin, per the EcoHealth Alliance pitch to DARPA. I don't have that with me to present today, but I, I have all those documents and I will send them to you. And that so EcoHealth Alliance, that's the guy who you uh, were referring to, uh, Peter Daszak, right? Yes, that's Peter Daszak's mm -hmm. gig. Do you know yes. something about the, about the targets when they, when they applied it on different uh, routes, when they, you swallowed it, you, they inhaled <laughs> it, or they got it injected? Do you know, is there some other information about the targets they reached then? with a different, different ways of, of reaction of the body. I don't have the mechanism of action. I mean, that would be a DOD document. I can tell you patients, there was a patient zero in the United States was I believe a 31 year old man from Wuhan uh, who went to the Kings County nursing home to visit his grandmother. Kings County is located in Washington state, um, not far from Seattle. Mm. That was ground zero in the United States. Um, and many of those people in that nursing home became sick. The question is, did that man who was patient zero, did he spray down the nursing home with something that they could then touch and it got into their skin? Or did he, did he spray aerosols in the room so they inhaled it? Did he you know, have access to 
something that they were eating. I don't know, but that's that's patient zero. He became very ill, but was treated after 14 days of treatment. Patient zero in Italy uh, was a fashionista also from Wuhan, age 25 years of age, and she went to Lombardy, Italy, apparently for fashion shows. She also was patient zero in Italy, and um, that was where the, uh, there was another major attack. I don't know how they attacked uh, New York City, but the subway system would be pretty easy way to um, to attack New York City. Um, so I can send you those patient zero documents as well. Mm -hmm. But um, how they infected people, I don't know. Um, but you know, there was no original human to human transmission. Yeah, spraying other... spraying vegetables, stuff like that. We've heard about that. Yes. Well, you can see from 2019, 2020 videos, um, there's these big trucks going up and down the streets of uh, Wuhan, and I believe in Beijing, and they're just spraying out all this aerosol, you know, in the streets, like in very busy streets, like you would find in, um, you know, Greenwich Village in New York City, it's that busy. There is, a, there is a custom of those people selling vegetables that they only, humify, humi uh, they put water, spray water on the vegetables to keep them, to keep them fresh. And if you use this water, you can you can really target how you want to bring this stuff into the people. And it's, yeah, and you that do water it, is wouldn't likely called Enviromist, and I have a whole presentation on that because they wanted to spray my son's skills, uh, my son's school down with it, and I just about lost it because Enviromist is made by DARPA. It's what they're telling the teachers and the parents organic based, so they think it's like their oat milk. Organic means that it's carbon based. It contains graphene oxide to create a stabilized microorganism environment uh, for sterilization. It's sterilization of our children. I'm like, stick to bleach and pine salt. I lost it. I have a whole presentation on that I can send you. So it's called Enviromist uh, in would the United be, States. Would be great, yes. Yeah, I will just send it to you. Um, Enviromist. So Mm. Enviromist. Reiner, I have a full presentation, okay. already read all the documents, you got all the links. Uh, yeah, they messed with the wrong mama wolf. I was like, I got this letter and I was like, you don't think I'm going to research what you're putting in my son's school? <laughs> Karen, what we also will need, because you talk really fast, uh, is can you give us your presentation in just Absolutely. a summary, can you give it to us in writing? Then we'll go through the slides, and at the same time, we're going to be reading what you wrote down. Is that okay? Yes, I can do that. Great, excellent. That'll be extremely helpful because this is so fast. We're going to have to go through this really slowly again, and uh, and then we'll summarize everything you said, um, even for our viewers, because this is it's, it's so important on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's so much information that uh that is given to us in a very fast speed but it's okay it's i'm getting the gist of it and i will be able to follow up on this when when i get this in writing okay yeah and if anyone wants to have questions and 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 we should have debate um yeah absolutely we'll, reach we'll out just have me. we'll just have a follow-up session that's all right yeah okay mm -hmm. so just further evidence that the original virus was lipid nanoparticle encapsulated and released in China to infect people. This is from May 24th of 2020. Um, what it says, the title, absence of nosocomial transmission. Again, that's hospital transmission between patients mm -hmm. or healthcare workers yes. of the 2019 SARS-CoV-2 virus in Hong Kong. 
This is very, very important because there were over 32,443 patients being screened and confirmed to have SARS-CoV-2 through the PCR test. What they found was down here is um, the, the risk of hospital acquisition of SARS-CoV-2 virus were significantly higher than the corresponding incidences of SARS-CoV-2, oh, sorry, the incidence of hospital-acquired SARS-CoV, of, of, of SARS-CoV virus, meaning um, they used the original SARS-CoV-1 and MERS was 7.8 and 16.9 respectively. That's what they're talking about. They said that's significantly higher than it is with SARS-CoV-2, which has a zero infection rate with a p-value of 0.001. So MERS and the original SARS-CoV-1 virus, there was human-to-human -human transmission in the hospitals. There was no such transmission with the original virus in over 32,000 patients that were hospitalized in Hong Kong. What they have done in the hospitals in America is beyond a crime against humanity. They didn't even let loved ones to go see their sick people, their, their sick um, uh, parents. They create they created COVID-19 wards where they uh, induced uh, people to go into a coma, put them on ventilators, and then murdered them. Now, I know people might say, well, what about the outbreaks in the nursing homes? Why did, uh, why did Cuomo send them back to the nursing homes? More than likely, so he could send someone in there and then use the Enviromist to infect the nursing home and make it appear like this was infectious. This is important. This is the first post-mortem autopsy that was published in a peer-reviewed journal uh, of an, I believe the man was 82 or 84 years old. He died about six or eight weeks after just getting one injection of Pfizer, of Pfizer BNT162B, likely the Comirnaty version. Because what you'll see is that the spike protein, unlike with a, a actual SARS-CoV-2 virus, which actually disintegrates, it was found uh, in his nose, nasal area. Uh, it was found in his brain, that's cerebrum. Mm -hmm. It was found in his throat. It was found in his tongue. It was found in his lungs, the spike protein. Mm -hmm. It was found in his heart, his myocardium. Mm -hmm. It was found in his kidneys and it was found in his, uh, sorry, in his liver that was negative, sorry. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was negative in his nose. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually that's interesting. It's ne negative in his nose. So sneezing, you, you can't infect other people and it was negative in his liver. But mm -hmm. look, these are all the A2 receptors, right? The heart, the kidneys, uh, then we know it targeted the brain. So I will send you this document as well. Why the FDA approval and then their continued emergency use authorizations that they are providing is criminal is because not only does Comirnaty and, and the <coughs> Pfizer vaccine not prevent the respiratory virus caused by SARS-CoV-2, the vaccine causes it. On September 17th, after the FDA approved on August 23rd, the Pfizer Comirnaty, they said you must do a post hoc analysis of the follow up period from those who were originally injected with Pfizer, BNT162B, and then those who a few months later were in the placebo group, they were unblinded and they were injected. So the people that were originally injected had about 10 months of post dose two follow up at the beginning of the analysis, where the vaccine group had about, um, the vaccine group had 
4.7 months of post-dose follow-up. What they found was that in the vaccine group, they had about a 7% incidence of infection where the placebo group who was, in, who was injected later, uh, about five months later, they had a 5% risk uh, uh, incidence of infection. Mm -hmm. What does the FDA and Pfizer conclude? This additional analysis appears to indicate that the incidence of COVID-19 generally increased in each group of the study participants with increasing time post-dose two. So once you get your second dose over time, your immune system becomes weakened. You're producing more spike protein and antibodies in your body to make you at greater risk for vaccine-associated enhanced respiratory disease. You're increasing your risk for respiratory disease. And they, this knew is this, also they knew this in September of 2021, and they just kept going. Yes, they kept going, and they authorized it for babies and toddlers. Whoa. Yes, just, just a couple days ago. So I don't know if you, do you want to keep going or do you want to end on, on that high note? I don't, I don't know what you'd like to do, Ryan. Let's, let's end on that high note. This is so okay. much information. This is just incredible. I, we're going to have to follow up on this, and we will. We definitely will. Um, okay. This will, this will be very, very important evidence, Karen. We have to ask some, some judges, state attorneys, yeah. to present this. Yeah, yeah. Face we'll, them with this. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to. We'll we'll need we'll need to have another session with you or private meeting, whatever. Um, this is very important, but we have to we have to understand it in detail. It, this is so shocking that it's hard to believe, Karen. I mean, really, it's hard to believe, but um, it all makes sense. Ultimately, it all makes sense. And, and the evidence is all there. Yeah. And 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 Reiner, this is why. I'm, I've never been popular in my industry, <laughs> I, and, I, and I think because what happens is people, it, I think we're searching for truth in something that had no truth in it. Yeah. And my job is to bring documents forward. But sometimes when people make statements, that statement becomes part of their identity. And I understand that. I really do understand that. But we just have to go to the source documents mm -hmm. if we want to win this war. We have to go to the source yes. truth. So Absolutely. it's not... It's not personal, and I hope people don't take it personally if what I'm presenting goes against what others may have said, because that's not my intention. My intention is the same as yours, which is to um, get say to humanity. the truth. Yeah. yeah, and tell the truth. The truth wins. Yes. God wins because the truth wins. Yes, I agree, Karen. Um, we're going to need another session, def definitely, or we'll speak in private uh, and then will uh, go forward with this because this is extremely important evidence in any of the coming lawsuits uh and we have we have a couple in mind that are going to be extremely important so this is going to be one of the one of the cornerstones if not the cornerstone of all of this Okay. Can I just ask one question? Like with these additional um, um, inserts that you mentioned, I mean these um, these snake, uh, you know, these toxins. Um, mm -hmm. And so, what what do you have any idea what other or additional problems, health problems, people might be facing because of the toxins? So that causes rouleau. That causes the blood clotting. Um, greatly. So that is definitely the cause of the thrombosis. It can also cause thrombocytopenia. It can also destroy the, the blood clots. So that that's one of the things 
that it does. Um, my recommendation is actually to talk to um, uh, like a Dr. Judy Mikovich or someone to give you more detail. Mm -hmm. I have a peer-reviewed study on all the venoms that are used from different uh, insects and reptiles uh, and like sea creatures um, that are used, have been historically used in pharmaceuticals. Uh, one of the other things though too is, um, here's interesting. So there's a drug called Capitin. It's what's called an ACE1 inhibitor that was available in the late 80s or early 90s. It's made from synthetically recreated snake venom. It has a contraindication because it works along the angiotensin renin pathway. What works along that pathway? ACE1 and ACE2 receptors. Where does the spike protein bind? Hmm. ACE2 receptors. Yeah. Capitin is pregnancy category D. What does that mean? It is a, a black box mark. You cannot give this to a pregnant woman. If she gets it during her second or third trimester, it will cause the baby inside of her to have reduction in development of lung cells, kidney cells, and muscular skeletal um, deformities. This has been proven in uh, animal studies, and unfortunately there were some serious adverse events in pregnant women using Capitin. So the FDA lied when they said they saw no reason for this to be contraindicated in pregnant women. They darn know well anything that works along the A1 or A2 receptor bindings is contraindicated in pregnant women. They intentionally did a rat study because the rat study did not allow for a long enough period to allow the deformation of uh, the fetuses in the pregnant rats. They should have done a rabbit study. Mm -hmm. And um, th these uh, these additional inserts, whatever these all these elements, there's no um, there's no benevolent interpretation that this is whatever one thing is necessary um, to help the other thing. Like in a, a kind of, you know, like that they would um, balance each other out or like something that we could imagine, except of be just being another problem, problematic aspect in the whole mix of the, the virus? Yeah. What, what I think there's a couple of things that you'll hear. So there's no reason to include um, an aggressive gram positive bacteria from the rabies virus. There is no reason to do that. Uh, so absolutely no, right? That's why people too were getting bacterial infections and then they're not given antibiotics because they were told it was a viral infection. No, they were infected with a bacteria from rabies. The HIV glycoprotein 120, the argument for that would be, and Dr. Malone will speak to this, is that that is the envelope that allows for penetration into the CD4 and CD8 cells to allow the hijacking for the replication then of the mRNA, the artificially created genetic material in the body. So that's why the glycoprotein HIV envelope is in there. The synthetically uh, weaponized um, snake venoms, uh, what they would say is, well, that improves binding, right, to the A2 receptors. And so we're gonna get a greater antibody response, as Fauci calls it, a robust immune response. That robust immune response is called immunogenicity. Yeah. It's when your body produces so many <laughs> antibodies, it actually attacks self and kills mm -hmm. self. Mm -hmm. For the FDA, it can have lethal consequences. Mm -hmm. That's the explanations. Mm -hmm. but, but they'll spin it, if yeah. that makes, I don't, but you can't spin putting uh, an aggressive gram-positive bacteria from rabies in there. I don't know what the spin would be on mm -hmm. that. No, there's, there cannot be any spin, but um, there could be like, I guess, I mean, that's now deep into like all these, these uh, manufacturing aspects, but I guess you could have done that also the binding maybe with something that's less toxic. Um, I don't know if that would have been possible to just not go for the really crazy stuff, but like find other, 
other elements that would maybe do the same, have the yeah. same effect. Yeah, and they have. There's over 10,000 SARS-CoV-2 weaponized bat viruses in the EcoHealth Alliance database as of 2016. That number is probably upwards of 100,000 right now. The next generation sequencing of these viruses is stored uh, by a company called Twist Bioscience in general. They have the, their largest manufacturing facility is in Beijing, China. They have received grants from the NIH. Okay. Um, yeah, the most important thing is when you send the materials, please do that summary because that is what I'm going to cling to when I'm watching the slides, just to take it step by step by step because it, I, I get the impression that this is one of the most important sessions that we've had. Uh, this is so, this information, if, uh, if this turns out to be, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not doubting you, but if this turns out to be verifiably true, this is going to be a bombshell. Yeah, wait till you see what they did to the children. So we'll, we'll have another session. We'll definitely yeah. have another session. This is very scary shit, really. We're in a war. Reiner, we don't have time and yeah. we need meritocracy and we need people to just mm -hmm. literally um, fight like they're fighting for their lives and their families. Yeah, that's what this is all about. Yeah, and I don't mean violence. I don't mean that. No, you know no, I, mean. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay, well, thank well, you very much, Karen. Um, thank you. Uh, if you. If you get that stuff over to us as quickly as possible, we'll be able to go through it and then we'll have another session because as you're saying, uh, the, the, what they did with the children, if, it's probably even scarier, but we need to know it. We need to know it all. Yeah, the children had, many of the children had uh, very severe epileptic uh, um, seizures, to the point what something called epilepticus. Mm -hmm. So they're having more than six or 12 seizures a day. They have permanently damaged these children and they do not stop having seizures. Only one child in the crossover, there were 344 children, 598 children in the placebo, 344 around week eight got injected with the three dose series. Only one child made it to one week post dose three. Out of the, the others died or, or like or got really uh they the irb is pfizer and they can withdraw withdraw a person for any reason and they can choose whether or not they disclose the reason why that person is no longer in the study so they might have died there's, there's no follow-up no there's an electronic diary one of the side one of the side effects is not death you can't say your child died mm -hmm. That's, I mean, it's, that's that's uh, the same thing they did with the uh, um, pregnant women study in I think in Brazil, 240 women, uh, and they realized that the damage that the vaccines did to these women, some of them became pregnant after getting the shots, that the damage that these vaccines, so-called vaccines, did to the women, that they decided to play another uh, trick on us, and excluded everyone except for 38 women and then uh, they used uh, it, it was bad enough but it didn't it, it probably wasn't even half as bad or one-tenth as bad as the whole study the others disappeared they took 38 women and i think 33 of them lost their baby now i wonder what happened if you well i don't even want to know it but we we do want to know it we'll find out yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. What, what's worse is, is, is Pfizer and FDA looked at the VAERS database and they noted that children became severely ill after breastfeeding with a mother that was vaccinated, mm -hmm. their mother. Mm -hmm. One five-month-old baby died from thrombosis, thrombocytopenia. I can tell you blood clotting is very painful in adults. That baby died a very painful death while the mother thought she was feeding him five months old. And then they inject the babies six months old. Mm -hmm. Reiner, it's got to stop. Yeah. As quickly as possible. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you, Karen. Thanks so much. And despite all of this, have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good weekend, too. Yeah, yeah thank and you. I'll get to see you uh, straight away. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take God care. Bless. Yep. Thank you. Bye bye. bye. Thank you. Oh, man. Das ist eine harte Nummer. Das ist sehr schockig. Mm. Diese Daten. Together with Ulrike, uh, go through the details. Uh, that would be helpful. Uh, it was very rapid. Uh, a lot. Uh, there was a lot to be read as well. There was a lot in it that explains what we would have um, feared. We did fear these things that they are doing this, but the fact that they're not manufacturing a virus that simply jumps from one person to another. All this uh, so-called pandemic, that's only a test pandemic, but what they're doing is something that's toxic that they can inject us or spray it, we don't know. And these masks that people have to wear, they uh, can probably retain major droplets. That won't protect people either then. So the aerosols bypass the masks and um, you can still um, inhale it. So I think we're pretty um, unprotected against this. Well, breathing and inhaling it, if uh, I'm not immunosuppressed, uh, then this would be so. Ulrika also told us then I can actually handle it easily with my immune system. It will uh, probably cause uh, respiratory distress, but uh, I can get rid of it. So the 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 severe uh, um, development will be avoided. Not so sure if our immune system can get rid of the nanoparticles. Do you, th do you think that the, the these can fl be flushed in those particles? Yep. She said it earlier as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure. Um, um, I can imagine that the nanoparticles uh, migrate into the cells, and they only start uh, being effective when they're inside the cells. And um, the immune system will only start fighting it once they become activated. I'm not sure we would have to take a look at this tox toxicologically. What does the immune system do with nanoparticles? Maybe a few more things become clearer then. To this end, you really have to know what's included in the nanoparticles. If they, um, if the information that's packaged there um, gets activated, then the cell will express it, and then it becomes immunogen immunogenic. Uh, I can imagine this happening, but then such a spray. Um, is feasible if it goes via the nanoparticles. But um, 
Um, if you assume a strategy, then, then there must be a reason that I want to get under people's skin. Uh, or, uh, or because, uh, uh, or is it the money that I can make with each jab? When I see what people do and what research is being done, what's, uh, what it sounds like, it becomes quite clear that there's a competition here about who can make the most dangerous weapons. And um, that uh, there is a uh, competition about making the most murderous uh, virus, just like you make the most uh, dangerous weapons. And how they are used afterwards is a different story, but they might think about what they can use as a bioweapon. Or uh, sometimes uh, those things are only done um, because they say um, we have to try it out because the others are doing it as well. We yeah, need to know what's is, possible there. Yeah. This is this justification, this alleged justification. Yeah. So, so they say we, we have to do all this filth because the um, opponent does it as well, and then the labs um, are then financed not from the research funds but uh, from the uh, defense budgets, and uh, that of course makes makes them um, blossom. They have huge resources, and then they appear at the Munich uh, Security Conference, offering their. Um, toxins there. So there's some um, autodynamism involved here. It has a lot to do with weapons, bioweapons that are banned. Nobody's allowed to make them, including the US. Nevertheless, they are being made. And have been done for a long time. I'm not sure if uh, Putin says that he bombed the bio labs in Ukraine. I'm not sure he doesn't have his own. I have no idea. That's something. That's very covert. Well, um, we've learned a lot again. <laughs> um, uh, some extremely frightening, uh, but uh, this is precisely the reason why we'll have to carry on and why we um, have to actually get on to the skin of those guys, all of us. So clear facts that no legal expert dealing with uh, criminal law, dealing with this kind of thing at other times, they need to get active um, independently. They have to pursue that. You can't just watch somebody doing something where people yeah. might not only uh, die, but will this die. This is poisoning. This is really bad. Okay. Um, do we still have a few videos to come? Let me Let me take a look uh, as to whether Corbin has a video. I wanted to lighten the mood a bit. Uh, anyway, uh, we definitely have, oh, we definitely have JP Sears again. We should have them and we should show them both because otherwise people get depressed here. One JP Sears video, uh, people who still support Biden, let's take that one. It's really funny. Okay. We should bid you goodbye for now, um, but to end on a less somber note, we'll take this one. Well, we would say goodbye before that. Well, um, again, we have to 
clarify even more the Karen Kinston and her findings, and she has more in the pipeline, she told so. Um, uh, those are things that are extremely interesting, and we will drill deeper, and uh, there will be lots of feedback from the scientists that we're in touch with. We have to mingle it all. I think it's so important that people who have this knowledge be given an, a public platform, even because uh, for their own security. Now that it's out, that you can't hold it back anymore, uh, they're less uh, in danger than if they keep that uh, information secret. That's important. That's one of the functions of this uh, committee as well, that they can say something in public and if something happens to them, then everybody knows that it's not by coincidence. And I think for many, it's better than going uh, to uh, see a lawyer as a whistleblower. This is really a dangerous thing. Uh, somebody says, I have a wonderful invention, they hold it back. And instead of making lots of money, and they really end up in a dangerous situation. So, so we need to protect yeah, these people, that's very important. Well then, um, for the continuation our work, we need some support and whoever wants to sponsor us, we have a new bank account, you find it on the website. Uh, Corona W, uh, it's a Corona Ausschuss and on the English website, Corona Minus Investigative Committee .de or .com, I, I don't remember. Or just investigative-committee.com, that's where you can find it as well. You know more than I do. <laughs> well, thank you very much for watching, and uh, see you next week. And uh, I all, as always, I wish you a pleasant uh, Friday evening and a lovely weekend. And see you back, Brian Bushethailed. Hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, couldn't be better. What are you doing? Uh, just walking to the gas station to get some gas. Oh, did your car run out of gas? No, I just can't afford to drive my car to the gas station to get gas anymore. Prices are kind of high. Yeah, I have no idea what Biden's trying to do. Hey, 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 hold it right there. Biden's a great guy. This isn't his fault. Oh, I'm not trying to say he's a bad guy. I'm just saying, objectively, gas prices have gone through the roof since he took office. Uh, that's just a big misunderstanding. It's not Biden's fault. Whose fault is it then? I mean, Putin's fault, right? Hmm. How's it his fault? Well, when you zero in on it at a high level and the, the lack of diversity in the Russian parliament. Russia doesn't have a parliament. Oh, and the climate change, like with the Titanic fault lines causing night terrors. Oh, and the elderly community suppressing the LGBTQ community. And uh, it, we're gonna wind up with total dolphin extinction in the wild populations in Colorado. And the blood's on Putin's hands gas prices okay uh, there's a goat now i mean if anything we need more biden like biden 2024 right <laughs> you're not ultra mega are you uh i just don't think biden's my guy i wish him well as a person but i think his policies are clearly making people's lives worse now there's more goats for some reason and that's simply not true well i certainly respect your opinion Hey, have you lost a bunch of weight recently? Yeah, like 20 pounds. Cool, I mean, you didn't have that much to lose. What kind of diet are you on? Food shortages. Oh yeah, about those. Why do you think it is in America we have food shortages all of a sudden? Well, I mean, lots of reasons. Like, I mean, 
Food doesn't just grow on trees. It actually does. Nah, we don't really know where it comes from. Like really, all we know is somehow it mysteriously comes from food processing plants. Yeah, um, haven't like 96 of those burnt down in this year alone? It's trying to stab me. Dude, 96 food processing plants burnt down this year? You're nuts. There's no way that happened. Oh, you're right. It's 97. Oh. And what's scarier is the Biden administration just seems to be allowing it to happen. I assure you that President Biden is staying up late into the afternoon looking into it. I mean, he's taking care of us. Don't you listen to his talking points? I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you're right. Of course I'm right. We're all in good hands. By the way, is that going to be enough gas to get you anywhere? Nope. But it's all I could afford. Oh, man. Did you lose your job? No, I wouldn't say I lost it. It's just the federal government made it illegal for me to work for a year or so. Damn, that's tough. Now, it's all good because over the course of that year, the government sent me two $600 stimulus checks. And it'd be awesome to still have that money in cash because now that $1,200 would be worth like a hundred. Yeah, inflation. Putin. But instead, I did the responsible thing and invested it. I hope you didn't. I put it in the stock market. Ugh. Man, I, I think the current administration. I know, that's basically just a coincidence because the way I look at it, which is based on the way I've been taught to look at immunizations, is that I'm thankful for the Biden administration. Because could you imagine how much worse the stock market drop would be if we didn't have Biden? Yeah, that's one way to look at it. But um, you should be okay in the long run as long as you don't sell. I sold all my stock. He's really biting me. While it's dropped mega low, why? So I could get a little bit of gas. I got pennies on the dollar for my investments. That's, that's terrible. No, it's great. My white guilt makes me feel like I deserve it. Is that what old white people who live in mansions and fly private jets told you you're supposed to feel? Yeah, exactly. They're the ones that would know. I mean, with all their wealth and possessions, can you imagine how much guilt they feel? <sighs> Poor guys. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm worried about you, man. <laughs> Don't worry about me, the economy has never been better. Yes, it has. But practically, man, like, you don't have a job, you can't afford to drive a car, you're going hungry, you don't have any savings, you lost out on the stock market, and you've got a family to support. Like, do you have any cushion to fall back on? Yes, of course I do. Oh, that's great, what is it? Crypto. Oh. Yeah, but for some reason, completely unknown, the crypto market has dropped dramatically also. My portfolio is worth one ten thousandth of what it used to be. Sorry. No need to apologize. I'm grateful because could you imagine how much worse the crypto crash would be if we didn't have Biden? You look really hungry. Yeah. Could you imagine how much worse the food shortages would be if we didn't have Biden? I mean, objectively, it's pretty bad. Look at you. You're wearing a tattered shirt. <laughs> oh, that's nothing. I ordered a new one last year. It's scheduled to arrive in the next 18 months. Supply chain issues. Could you imagine how much worse the supply chain issues would be if we didn't have Biden? I could imagine they'd be very different. <laughs> exactly. That's why we need to all band together and support him during this critical time when he's losing support for some reason. Because if we don't get him reelected in 2024, things will be different. Yeah, that would be. Well, hey, I got to run home and push my car to pick my kids up from school. They're due back from their field trip to a drag show soon.